our podcast this week, we talk to the best driver in the business. No, it's not Lewis Hamilton. It's Adam Driver, star of House of Gucci. Or as hell am I saying, Gucky. We'll talk about that later on. <laughs> Plus, we talk to Benny Blanco from the Bronx himself and live to tell the tale. Yes, it's John Liguizamo, star of Encanto. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the... Oh. Um... Blast. Ah, forgive me. Uh, forgive me. Forgive me. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, on the movie podcast that, unlike some prime ministers he could name, would never lose his place during an introduction. That's aged badly. Yeah, you forgot the car noises and the reference to Peppa Pig World. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing stuff. Hello, boss. Can I can I just can I just point out? Sure, I want to give props <laughs> to the BBC guy, and I can't remember his name. Who did the deadpan reporting of that speech? And who actually asked the words? He goes, and in the correction, I never thought I would give. The facts about Peppa Pig World were, in fact, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like. Bless you, sir. Bless you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast this week. As you've already heard, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. James Dyer, our great big fucking nerd, is here. Hello. Hello, Jimbo. And of course, our geek queen, Helena Hara, is also here. Hello. Uh, so, Peppa Pig World. Yes. Uh, have you ever been? Uh, no. No, Because I. I, don't, I don't have children. Peppa Pig? No, I, I fucking hate Peppa Pig. I mean, this probably comes as no surprise to you, but no. Peppa Pig annoys the shit out of me. I mean, I, I appreciate the Madame... Gazelle pun like that's solid. I like that, Madame but beyond that, Madame the, Gazelle, the, Madame Gazelle, Madame the French Madame teacher. Madame it's good. Gazelle, She's Madame a gazelle. gazelle. Madame Gazelle, the French teacher. It's good. It's good. How's it good? Because it sounds a bit like Mademoiselle, which is like a French. Mademoiselle, yeah, Madame you know, Gazelle. You see, know, yeah, I think you're giving this pun more credit than it deserves. Oh, I thought it was good. I'm not even sure there's a pun there in the first place. Uh, I thought it was decent. Okay, but all uh, right. All I know about Peppa Pig is that Mummy Pig is voiced by Moena Banks who it was uh, on the comedy troupe, absolutely. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that. So yeah. there you go. You've learned more than me. I've read a lot of the books to my small nephew and niece, and mm -hmm. um, they're, they're not filled with incident. I'll be honest. Huh. Mm -hmm. they are, they're not high stakes. They're seen, not high stakes. I've seen a couple of episodes. It's fine. I saw an episode where Daddy Pig was, he had some blueprints for something that he was working on. And then he lost the blueprints. Oh no! And right. it turned out Peppa Pig had turned the blueprints into a paper plane, uh -huh. oh. and was playing with the paper plane, and then flew the paper plane, and the paper plane flew miles into Daddy Pig's office just when Daddy Pig needed the blueprints the most, which oh, I thought was a bit goodness. fortuitous. I mean, mm. it seems mm. the, the odds of that seem far fetched. Mm. Yeah, far -fetched. that's aerodynamically. Unlikely. I mean, it is un it's unlikely. Blueprints are very big. Like, that'd be a heck of a paper plane, wouldn't it? Mm. For a small pig to launch mm. into the air successfully, I, I, you know, I think the chances of that are pretty low. Very low. Whereas very low. the one I saw um, involved a lot of jumping up and down in muddy puddles, which seemed much more, you know, on brand. Great. Muddy has, puddles seem to be a thing. Has there been a Peppa Pig movie that I've missed? Yes, I believe so. There was. I'm really? Sure. There was certainly a, a stage show, but I'm pretty sure there's been a movie as well. I'll be honest. I, I, you know, I have not volunteered to take my small nephew and niece to any of these. I've been leaving oh, that those why to you fail. stronger people. Mm. Oh, that's why I was watching Peppa Pig because I've got a, a little great nephew. Yeah, that's why. Shall we move on from Peppa Pig? Yeah, sure. Mm. There are other pigs available. Other pigs are available, and I can't wait for the movie when it does come out. When which Peppa Pig will be voiced, of course, inevitably by Chris Pratt. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
Should we have a question? Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I have the question. I have the question here. Is it a question you have not shared with us? I have, and for Absolutely. reasons that will become abundantly clear, James. Abundantly okay. clear. It's not just that I forgot. The question comes from at John New Blue Tick on Twitter with the middling reviews and box office for Black Widow. The dud that was Falcon and the Winter Soldier <laughs> and the poor reception afforded Eternals has the Maku, sorry, MCU, jumped the shark. No, I think not. No. I wow. really liked Eternals. Obviously, we have had this discussion. I really liked Loki. I really liked WandaVision. I really like Hawkeye so far. So no? I was hoping this what? conversation would be longer. Than <laughs> <laughs> While it is unlike me to play devil's advocate, I do think oh there is point to be had here in that I don't think it has been a banner year for the MCU. And mm-hmm. I do feel that the MCU may have peaked with the Infinity Saga. Like, I could be wrong, and I hope I am wrong, and I hope it does go on to bigger and better things. However, I think the Infinity Saga in itself, and I actually weirdly include Far From Home in this, even though it kind of takes place after, because it feels off a piece. But it's part of it, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I think that was such a perfectly staged escalation to a none more grand event. And arguably, I would say, and look, I'm not down with all the comics, but there have been few things, if anything, in the comics as epic in scale as the Infinity Gauntlet affair as it appears in the comics. You know, and now, obviously, they're resetting and they're building up again. But I just feel like since that, everything's felt a little bit lesser. After the Lord Mayor's show. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. It feels anticlimactic by comparison. And, you know, we'll get there again. And I think, you know, yeah. when the X-Men come in, there'll be lots oh of stuff God. to love. But certainly, I have felt that the MCU has... It's been nice to have them back. We obviously we had the big pandemic palate cleanser where we didn't get anything. That was upsetting. But certainly, as far as MCU years go, I would say this has been the that, least. That That's fair. I don't think it's the least, but I think that's fair that it hasn't been flawless. It hasn't been a banner year. And there is absolutely this, you know, dip in scale, which is a good thing, mm. though. After it's unsustainable to yeah, keep you, it up you, at that level. You can, mm. you, you've literally just killed half the universe. You can't keep <laughs> upping the stakes from there. So I think, you know... If, if I mean, this is not a spoiler, but Hawkeye's main focus in the series so far is get home in time for Christmas, which I am so happy about. I can't even tell you. I'm just absolutely loving that. If that had been Thanos' goal, that would have been a very different movie. Yes, it would have been. And and I would have liked Thanos maybe more than I do because, <laughs> if, you know. If, the infin- if he had to get, get the Infinity Gems because he thought they would look nice on his tree. And I, he was I collecting was, the gems, you and know then me. it would yeah. end with him dressing the tree with the mm-hmm. stones, mm-hmm. maybe with the mind stone at the top, and then mm-hmm. sitting down and basking in the glow of a grateful universe. I would be so up for that, I can't tell you. Thanos would be my favourite <laughs> at that point. You know what I'm like about Christmas tree decorations. You know what they say, Helen, every time you snap the Infinity Gauntlet, an angel gets their wings. I, they don't do they say, say that? that? I, don't I don't think, think they, do say, they that. say that. I don't I think, think they, they say that. I, think, I don't think they do. I, I just got. I just do. got a new Christmas decoration. You can't tell my sister; she's not allowed to know. A, a new Christmas. Because we're not going out on a podcast. I know. Of my, um, she won't listen. It's fine. Of my <laughs> favorite fountain pen. I know. I have a Christmas decoration version. I'm so excited. Uh, okay, can we all just take a moment? So, so just to recap, you got your sister a Christmas decoration. No, no, it's for me. Oh, you got. I, okay. Yeah, I just what? don't want her to know because she so tells me I'm not allowed to buy. Don't want people to know that you bought yourself a surprise. In case you no, no, find no. out. My sister doesn't allow me to buy more Christmas decorations because she says I have, quote unquote, enough. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's impossible. But, but just to be clear, right? just to be clear, you bought not just a Christmas decoration mm-hmm. of a fountain pen, a Christmas decoration of your favourite fountain pen, yes, implying that you in fact have a favourite fountain yes, pen. Yes, I have multiple fountain pens. So much to unpack there. Mm. What's going on? It's a Kawiko Sports. They're very good oh fountain pens. God. They fold up really small, but then they kind of, you know, 
They're just nice fountain pens. They, like they a, write well. Is it like Hawkeye's retractable sword? It's not quite as cool. I will. I will allow Bidding that. Bidding starts at two hundred thousand um, dollars. It starts at like twenty quid. Twenty quid, which is a bit more okay. reasonable. Could John Wick kill a man with it? John Wick could kill a man with anything, and Fair. you and I both know that. John okay. Wick could kill a man with with your microphone, your mug, even you. <laughs> I'd be interested to see that. I'd love to see him smash you into someone. Thanks. Repeatedly, <laughs> not in a sex way, obviously. This has got weird. Yeah. Good lord. Anyway, back to the back to the question. Uh, Helen's so, favourite fountain pen. That's what this is about yes. now. Helen is taking notes using her favourite fountain pen. That's right. Uh, anytime we besmirch the good name of Captain America, she goes. See, and I thought that, that that I'd kind of gone too far when I realised I knew the name of several separate. I knew the, the model numbers of several separate Hoovers. You do, and I was yeah. saying that in itself is problematically but that's because you're researching it's not because you are because you, you were I'm not a Hoover in enthusiast yeah. yeah you're just hoovering well, up the information indeed oh, yes dear. very good Come very on. good. you're Dyson with death <laughs> I am <laughs> it is very good though it sucks like a motherfucker I'm sure it does. Oh God! I'm sure it does. <laughs> Let us not explore that. Any Black Friday further. sales for the win. Anyway, carry on. Mm, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, obviously, we're 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 Marvel fans here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that I don't think that um, Marvel has jumped the shark. That the MCU has jumped the shark. But I think there's been a couple of wobbles. Uh, uncharacteristic wobbles uh, and it's difficult. I mean, it's, I think we talked about this after Endgame came out and did what it did and was as good as it was. Mm. I thought at the time that Kevin Feige might take that moment to drop the mic and step aside because where can you go after that? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's that feeling, right? So yeah. where can you go? How can you possibly top, not just what Endgame did in terms of box office, but how that became a cultural moment and seemed to, everything seemed to coalesce and everything had been building towards it. And then they Bottles, actually, squeak. they delivered. <laughs> they actually bloody delivered, which is unfathomable. Uh, so, you know, it's a little bit like, and James, bear with me here. I may have used this metaphor before, and I'm sure your eyes glaze over then. Oh, I'm, I'm going to do it again. Oh, no, it's, 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 it's football managers. No, yes. it's not Liverpool, but okay. it's football managers. It's football okay. managers, oh, right? So you're a football manager. You spend ages. You have your five-year plan, your 10-year mm-hmm. plan for success. Eventually, you get success. You win a European Cup. You win a league. The smart money then would be retire. What can you possibly do? Mm-hmm. What can, how, where can you possibly go after that? Uh, but a lot of football managers, uh, whether it's Mr. Alex Ferguson over at Manchester United or or Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, they Bobby stay Charlton. on. Thanks, James. Uh, or they stay on and they try and rebuild and they try. So Jurgen Klopp is currently in his phase four at Liverpool, essentially. Okay. okay? So Feige has clearly decided to do that and, st- and stick around and see what he can do and see what creative risks mm-hmm. I think he can take, which is why, you know, I think we're going to get things like Eternals in phase four. We're going to get things like Taika Waititi going even more mad with yeah. uh, Thor Love and Thunder. Um, we're going to get lots of new ground being broken mm-hmm. because he's earned the right to have a go at it yeah. uh, creatively. But there have been some stumbles. And I think the pandemic hasn't helped in that regard. Uh, I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier, if anyone's listened to the Hawkeye Spoiler Special that's up right now for for Spoiler Special subscribers, I, I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier is by some distance the worst thing they've done in a decade. I think it's mm-hmm. bottom three uh, bottom three MCU. If you take all the TV shows, put them together with the films, mm-hmm. I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, is really not good. Um, however, it's also coming a year where I think Loki was incredible. WandaVision was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally, and I know Helen is with me on this mm-hmm. to an extent, uh, I, I adored Eternals. I thought it was terrific. I thought it was, yeah. the, uh, I love Shang-Chi. I wasn't that up on Black Widow. 
Which was my favourite MCU film of the year. But okay, but then again, maybe that's there it is. We contain mm. multitudes, mm-hmm. and so one person's <laughs> favourite MCU thing of the year is going to be another person's worst thing of the year. So can you say, can you say incontrovertibly that they're jumping the shark when we have No Way Home, Multiverse of Madness, um, Thor: Love and Thunder, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the Marvels, all Guardians Three started filming recently. Mm-hmm. All these incredible gifts that are hopefully going to be a, a coming our way very very soon. And then of course in the small screen, do you think like the, we, the snooty the snooty film Twitterati as it were do mm-hmm. go on about the death of cinema and mm-hmm. the prevalence of Marvel and too much Marvel and whatnot? I must admit, with the volume of TV shows coming up, there is a part of me that wonders about saturation. You, you know, I have this same concern and I especially have the same concern because when you get into multiverse stuff and timeline stuff, you do risk things becoming so complicated that people feel like they just can't keep up. Mm. Oh, you know, I haven't seen that Marvel TV show and therefore, you know, it feels like homework after a while. There might mm. be a point that, that that becomes an issue. But what I think is really encouraging right now is that you know, generally speaking, I think the standard is still high. I think it's certainly still higher than most other franchise mm. filmmaking in Hollywood. Um, I also think it's striking that Marvel keep kind of finding this over and over again. The, the ones where they swing for the fences tend to be the biggest wins for them. Now, we can have an argument about Eternals, but I think Eternals is really successful. And I think it's successful because it does something very different, because it um, has a very different feel, a different cast, a different energy, a different vibe. And I think that's what will work. I think the, the ones that haven't worked for me have been the, the, you know, the Black Widows and the Falcon and the Winter Soldiers and things which felt a little more safe. And the kind of more, I mean, instantly the more diverse stuff, but the stuff that has just felt weirder and more out there has been the stuff that I've loved most this year. I think my my sort of issue with that, my worry with things, is because this stuff is so heavily interconnected, that when you move the goalposts significantly, which Eternals mm-hmm. does, like mm-hmm. fundamentally with the mythology, my main... I think when I came out of Eternals, like my thing was, oh, oh, no, 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 you have not done this because this affects absolutely everything that I love in a way that I do not appreciate. And I didn't like the way that it moved the mythology into that sphere. I'll be a little bit vague because not mm, everyone yeah, will have yeah. seen it, but it goes to places that are a little bit weird, a little bit funky, a little bit places. mental, a little bit yeah. cosmic. And Guardians did that first. Like they went mm-hmm. into the cosmic sphere and like the Infinity Saga is built in that cosmic space a little bit. And that's fine. And that is works because it works within existing parameters. But Eternals pushes that boat out and then... I mean, frankly, like the next Spider-Man is going to, in many ways, push it out further in yeah. another direction. And my concern with those things is like how it then impacts the stuff that I already love mm-hmm. and how it sort of changes that. And sure, like we can't stay on safe ground forever. And it is important to push boundaries and do new things because otherwise it will get stale and it will get tedious. But yeah, I, I, I have small concerns. There were certainly moments in turn that I was like, no, no, stop it, no. That's interesting. I'm not. Well, we can't get into it because this isn't, this isn't a spoiler thing. We don't want to really get into it. But I'm not sure how Eternals effects was come before. Again, not getting into everything, but like all the the kind of cosmic aspects of of Eternals are almost they almost have kind of um, theological implications. Mm. I would actually and metaphysical, and metaphysical ramifications. I would actually quite like to see human society deal with some of the stuff that has emerged in the in the Marvel films over mm. the years. I would like you know. How many people on Earth now know there are aliens? Pretty much all of them, right? They know about Thanos. Everyone, yeah. Everybody knows aliens exist. I mean, what does that what does that do to people? What does that change about civilization? What does what impact does that have? I, I'm I'm getting really nerdy, I can tell. But like I I would like to see some of that maybe explored a little <laughs> mm. bit more. 
I mean, and they're going to have to deal with vampires uh, at some point as well, which is which is a big thing, and that moves it in another direction as well, which is which is interesting. I'm 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 excited about where they're going. I think this year's had this year's had some really really high highs. It's also had some low lows. Uh, I don't think we were also meant to get everything the way we were we got it this year. The pandemic Mm. delayed things by by a solid year. So we were meant to have had some stuff last year. Black Widow, Black Widow should have been way in the rearview mirror by now. Um, yeah. It should have been almost a distant memory, and it's fine. You know, it's okay. Black Widow's okay. I um, should point out when I said it's my favorite MCU, I meant films. Definitely did do not prefer that to One Division and Loki. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> no, I think I think that that that's a given. That's a given. And and Hawkeye, I think, is a is a really solid, really fun entry as well. And I'm okay with that. What I don't want is the sense that they are receding creatively. And I know certain people will feel that about Eternals. My, I, I loved that film, it, it, I, and I didn't expect to, and it did won me over completely. Uh, but I'm massively excited about where they're going. My concern, and I don't think I quite articulated this brilliantly on the Hawkeye spoiler special, is, or maybe it was Eternals, uh, one of the two. We're always talking about Marvel. Anyway, so <laughs> was that Phase 4 so far to me is a little unfocused in that it's, you're, I'm not sure what the end game, for want of a better word, mm. is. I'm mm. not sure what the goal is. So they've introduced this idea of the multiverse as being this huge event that will redefine the MCU and redefine everything about the MCU and everything you know is wrong. Forget what you think you know, because mm. it's, here we go, multiverse. It's going to be, hold on, hold on, folks. Here comes Toby Maguire sucking in his gut. It's going to be, <laughs> it's, it's huge. It's going to be, not his gut. It's not but his no, gut. No, no, yeah, no. He's in much better shape than me, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, it, it's going to redefine the MCU going forward. You go, oh, that's exciting. Oh, here comes Kanye Conqueror. Now we're going to be delving into time travel. Oh, that's exciting. Okay, so which of those is where we're going? Yeah. Well, maybe neither because Eternals is now doing something else and here's something else that is just as big as that other stuff. And so which is it? Pick a lane. Or maybe they all come together in one great big smorgasbord. But I think phase one, for example, very early went, all right, here's Thanos, here's the Infinity Stones. And it took a sweet time getting there. But this is what this mm-hmm. is what we're going to. I don't know, and maybe this is a good thing. I don't know where phases four, five, and six are going at the moment. And I think one of the interesting things about what's been mapped out for us in the MCU so far, uh, irrespective of Fantastic Four and X-Men because they are coming. We we know that is going to happen. I'd say by 2024, 2025, we're going to have Fantastic Four and X-Men in the MCU. What's interesting is they just, they just produced two of the three biggest films of all time. They were Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. There has been no Avengers 5 announced yet. Yes. Which I yeah. think is really interesting because you'd imagine the commercial pressure on... On, on Marvel from, from higher ups at Disney would be going, that movie did pretty well. And that movie has the word Avengers in the title. Hey, and that movie did pretty well. And that movie has the word <laughs> Avengers in the title. So we're seeing a correlation here. So why don't you just do Avengers 5 in 2023? But they haven't I done mean, that. Yeah, They're missing I, Avengers, frankly, isn't yeah. it? But it's not, I don't think it's about having Avengers in the title. It's about tying threads together, isn't it? It's about they set up these characters and then they brought exactly. them together, magnifying the appeal of the individual films. So yes. maybe that's what yeah. they're, you know, they're laying mm-hmm. groundwork for another set of those. Quite, but I think the Avengers movies focus, they're the focal points, yeah, right? So you go, alright, okay, so um, Phase 2 didn't end with Age of Ultron, it ended weirdly with Ant-Man, but you know, you're... <laughs> but it kind you're, of felt like it did. It did, yeah, yeah because yeah. You're, you're building towards, oh, Age yeah. of Ultron, we're building towards that. Oh, yeah. Infinity War and Endgame, 
you know, we're building towards those movies and they haven't done that yet with this. But you're right about them expanding it and expanding the, um, you know, they they, have, they are missing some, some not all, but they're missing some key characters and mm-hmm. they have to develop others. And I have to say, I watching the um, the logo, the Marvel Studios logo uh, on Hawkeye, uh, if I, right at the end, Shang-Chi pops up in the mm-hmm. in the logo. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Shang-Chi, I like him. And so, you know, I think we're they're beginning to build again. Um, but as for jumping sharks, not not for me, but others may differ. Right. I think we've answered that question. We answered yeah, a question. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't did. know if it was that one, but <laughs> no, we, we yeah, we've answered many, many questions. Um, but yeah, should we have a guest? Let's do it. Sure. All right. But first of all, I'll tell people how to get in touch uh, with us on the Empire Podcast. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast uh, and then vaguely answered at some point, <laughs> uh, you can get in touch with us. Twitter is the only game in town at the moment. I am Chris Hewitt on Twitter, at Chris Hewitt. So slide into my DMs or reply to any of my tweets or wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. So this guest, is it please Beth's parents? No. That's disappointing. No, they have been dealt with. <laughs> wow. We don't, we don't want to ruin the magic. Really? Yeah. Just but, for special, special yeah, podcasts. I think best parents have jumped a shark. Of mm. course. That's <laughs> anyway, amazing. They've jumped you know. the free willy hold all. They have indeed. <laughs> uh, so guests. So we have, um, we have John Lugazamo mm-hmm. or Adam Driver. Who do you want? John let's, Leguizamo. Yeah, let's start with John Leguizamo. I don't even yeah. know why I ask you guys. It doesn't affect you in any no, way, shape or form. It's not like they're standing outside and they bring They're going to come in. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah, come on in, John Leguizamo. Just on the off chance that you're waiting outside, I'm sorry the vending machine downstairs doesn't work. It's been broken for three weeks. I've really told facilities they haven't fixed it. <laughs> oh, what are you going to do? Anyway, John Leguizamo. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. So John Leguizamo. So he is a fantastic actor uh, and writer and director. In fact. He has been knocking around now for the best part of three, maybe even four decades. Uh, he is in this week's Encanto, which is a new Disney musical with songs written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, of course, was on last week's podcast. Uh, and I caught up with John Leguizamo, who plays a character called Bruno, uh, who is subject of a song in the musical called Don't Talk About Bruno. Luckily, we ignored that <laughs> advice whenever I sat down with him in Zoom a couple of weeks ago. And we had a chat about that. And we had a chat about his uh, Broadway show, Latin History for Morons, which my wife and I caught when we went to New York uh, on holiday a couple of years ago. And it was terrific. And we talked from there about representation and diversity in filmmaking. And it's pretty interesting, pretty deep as well. Uh, and then for good measure, we talk about Carlito's Way because it's one of my favorite films. So here we go. John Leguizamo. Enjoy. I like we both got dueling libraries. <laughs> see, this is the thing. I actually really like doing interviews like this because now we can see what's behind you as well. I'm trying to squint past you to see what's on your yeah, bookshelf. Yeah, no, I'm trying to squint past you to see are those DVDs that I see. There's some DVDs. There's some graphic novels. There's some Stephen King. There's a Columbo box set. It's it's all happening in my bookshelf, John. And mine, look, you know, I got an Alma Award. I got an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> my my one man shows. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a little insecure, I guess. <laughs> Listen, if I had an Emmy, I would have it on display as well. Um, I I I've, wanted to wear it as a chain on, on my neck, but it's a little heavy. <laughs> it's a bit heavy, and it might poke you in the face as well. Yeah, yeah, because you know they're kind of weapon-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those sharp wings, they're, they're going to get you sooner rather than later. Uh, anyway, John, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Good, good, good. Uh, how many times have you heard this whilst you're promoting Encanto? Um, this is going to be a very hard interview because we don't talk about Bruno. 
We don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. Uh, isn't that incredible? Because we all got relatives that we don't talk about. I mean, every family, uh, I think Encanto represents every family, you know, every yeah. dysfunctional, functional family. And, and you know, you're pigeonholed into a place in the family, you know, the big mouth or, 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 the, or, or the aggressive or, or, or the shy. And then sometimes these, these labels are, we don't we don't have a say in them, you know. They're just given to us, and then they're hard to break out of. And I think this movie captures that. I think you go to this movie and you see your whole family in it, and then you and then the beautiful message that sometimes we don't have a place in the family. Sometimes we don't have uh, that special power, or we feel ordinary, or unspecial, or unwanted. And 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 if you look inwardly, or you wait long enough, you will find that you have something special to offer. Mm. Is that something that connected with you? Where you know, do you know where you, what, what place you hold in your own family, for, for example? I'm more like Uncle Bruno. I'm the relative that you know that gets pushed out. That nobody was, you know. I'm told to shut up because I'm, I'm the guy who I, I I was a big mouth and I would <laughs> say what was always on my mind and it wasn't what everybody wanted to hear. Is that because you walked around with an Emmy all the time? Just. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone disagreed with you, you would just... I, I felt a little overprivileged, I think. <laughs> but it has, you're absolutely right. It has this lovely, you know, this, this, this lovely relatable connection about family, I think, that people are going to really, really connect to in the oh, film. Oh, yeah. Go, I mean, it's like, it's, going to see this movie is like therapy because you know everybody, after you leave the, the theater and you're in your car or you're on your way home, every family member is going to go, who are you in there? Yeah. Are you are you the Miss Perfect? Are you are you the the uncle who nobody wants to talk to? Are you the strong one who has all the burdens of the family? You, you're going to see yourself in the family, and you're going to go home and and start talking about your place in your family. Oh my God! Yeah, I know absolutely. I think I'm the uncle that was cool when kids were growing up. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm seen as the kind of the liability. Yeah, I, I always thought myself as the cool dad and my kids didn't see me that way. That was really jarring for me because I would dance and they'd go, dad, don't dance, don't dance. And I would rap and they go, dad, don't rap. Don't rap. I was always being told, no, don't do this, don't do that, because I was in an embarrassment. <laughs> That's so weird because, you know, I would imagine that, you know, you know you're, you're a well-known guy. You're in, you're in film. That would no, be cool, and right? I'm known for dancing and being funny and doing voices and my kids are like, no, just... <laughs> they want you to disappear. They want you to basically disappear. <laughs> uh, so, how did this come about for you, John? Was this the was this the the quickest yes you've said to something in a while? You know, <laughs> it was. It was, man. I mean, uh, to me, Lin Manuel, he wrote the masterpiece of my uh, of my lifetime, Hamilton, and I've heard it on a loop because it it was my daughter's favorite for like two years. Uh, so I, 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 I hear to have Lynn ask me to do it. And then he wrote a rap for me. He wrote a rap for me. Who can say that? No one, but me. He's a Pulitzer prize winning, uh, playwright who wrote a, a rap for me. And then he was patient enough. Cause, uh, you know, I'm a closet rapper and, you know, I, I rap in the shower and, and, uh, he was patient enough to get me in the pocket. Cause I wasn't always in the pocket. I was close to beat, but sometimes I would just miss it. And he go, okay, you missed it. I go, I don't even know. You got to you got to you got to help me get in there. So what's that like? You know, I'm not saying you messed up, John. I'm not saying that at all. But what's it like maybe just not quite hitting the beat with Lin-Manuel Miranda in the room? Is, is that like a... That was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure. 
I felt the pressure and uh, I, I was like, please be patient, bro. I know it's going to take like four or five hours to do just one paragraph, but, but it'll, it'll, it'll pay off in, in the end. And it did. I mean, when I saw the movie, I was like, oh my God, my rap made it into the movie and, and, and it's Lynn and he wrote it for me. Uh, it was an incredible moment. So what was it like the first time? Because you, you, obviously he said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to write this or I have written this. Did, did he play you the rap? first when you yeah, first met yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, no no i wouldn't i first met it, it was it was a little after that that he sent it to me on a uh on a in an email and i could listen to it over and over and i did you know as much as i could uh it was it was a blast to have him you know sketch it out for me obviously he is he's had a, a hell of a last five years or so um i know he wasn't in hamilton whenever you were on broadway with latin history for for morons but there's a bit of overlap there but it must have been so exciting to be i don't know just even tangentially around hamilton at the time of this oh, all kicking off God, yeah because i've been you know colorblind casting I mean, I've been such a big proponent of it. And, and, and you know, it, it was a thing created in the 60s. And, uh, you know, where you could have a, a black father and a white mother and, and have a white child or, or, or vice versa or Latin ex family members. And, uh, you know, Hollywood poo pooed on it. And so it, it stopped being a thing. And he brought it back and showed that it works, that it, it's the biggest hit Broadway has ever had. And it continues. Even after the pandemic is the best, fastest selling show uh, on Broadway. So uh, he, here I am in this movie, which is all Latinx. I mean, Disney is the cultural barometer of the world. So to have a whole Latinx cast in a, in a, in a Disney movie, it just tells us that we've arrived, that we're here finally, 500 years later. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. I, I was in New York a few, uh, about four years ago now with my wife. We went, we went uh, for, a, for a holiday and we saw your show. We saw, we saw. Oh, get out. We did. We did. Oh, thank you for your business. Loved it. Loved it. <laughs> Latin History for Morons, which is now on Netflix, of course, if you want to see it. But, uh, but I saw John. I saw you on, on the stage, in the flesh. It was, it was, it was amazing. But the whole... The whole... You know, was it all that it was cracked up to be? It was, man. Yeah. It was, it was Did you overpay? Did you overpay? <laughs> I got some scalpers. Uh... <laughs> okay. All right. You definitely did overpay. <laughs> that was fantastic. But, but the, the heart of that show... Is you know there's there's a there's a there's a gag in the show about you know Latin history and how it's depicted in culture and how much Latin history is portrayed in media and you talk about you know a thousand years ago we had the Mayans and now we have now and you are such a great proponent of diversity and Latino representation in culture and in movies and now it feels like the needle is beginning to shift a little bit do you feel that all those years of of hard work on your part are beginning to pay off? Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, in the 80s, we had a moment where it looked like, oh, my God, we're going to be let in. You know, we Latin people are having a, a moment, but it, it ended up being with just a flavor. And that was very disappointing, you know. Uh, and then uh, the crash was really, really brutal for our representation. The, the 208 uh, financial crisis crash. That was uh, tough for all people of color. But we Latin people are the oldest ethnic group in America after Native Americans, and we're Native Americans, so th there, and uh, and we're the largest ethnic group in America. Mm -hmm. So how does that happen, man? I mean, how does that exclusion happen? I mean, in L.A., we're forty percent, almost fifty percent of the population in Hollywood, 
and and less than four percent of the faces in front of the camera, less than one percent of the crew behind the camera, less than one percent of the executives, less percent, less than one percent of the stories being told. In New York City, we're equal to whites in population, and less than one percent of the stories in the New York Times, New York Post, New York Magazine staff. I mean, that's like living in a cultural apartheid. So that's why I've been such a outspoken activist in, in, in our representation, because it does a lot of damage to a huge 70 million people in this country. And we're going to be pretty soon, we're going to be equal to whites in population and still underrepresented. That's just, just not okay. You have a whole youth market, a whole youth, uh, young population growing without self-worth because you don't see yourself represented. How do you know you matter? How do you know you count? How do other people know that you matter and your history that we, America wouldn't exist without us because we in the Amer- we, we fought we're the only minority that's war- fought in every single war America's ever had from the American Revolution to the Civil War. We were 500,000 uh, uh, sacrificed our lives in World War Two, 500,000 Latinx with amazing heroes. And you never see that in a in a Spielberg movie in a his, uh, Discovery Channel TV show or History Channel. And in terms of your own career, John, is, is how did you how did you manage to break through and break past that? Because there was, there was even well, a point. I didn't, I didn't totally, though. I didn't yeah. totally, you know, like, you know, you you can win a crazy amount of awards and still be excluded. Look at Rita Moreno. She's she's an EGOT. She got every, uh, a Tony, an Emmy, an Oscar. And you didn't see her in flicks. You didn't see her the lead in flicks. You know, uh, you can win crazy awards in America and still be invisible. So, uh, you know, I, I fought my ass off and uh, I found theater. I found theater didn't have the gatekeepers that kept me out. So as, as Lynn did as well, you know, because if Lynn would have pitched that Hamilton to a, a studio exec or a streamer, they would have been like, well, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, wait a minute. Uh, Burr's going to be black and Hamilton's going to be a Puerto Rican. I can assure you that our founding fathers did not speak and rap. <laughs> they would have never got done, brother. You know it. You and I both know it. Absolutely, and uh, I, and there were no gatekeepers. I just had to write a great show that got great reviews and and uh, find the financiers, and boom, I've I've had six one man shows right there, six one man shows on Broadway, with and I got tons of awards, and it just never translated to to television or film. Because I was I was listening to an interview you did uh, a couple of years ago when Latin History of Morons was was on Broadway. And you were talking about how you've been pitching screenplays to Hollywood for 30 years and got nowhere, which is yeah, wild. You know, and I started to blame myself. I started to go, you know, maybe my writing sucks. You know, that's what I started to feel like. Damn, my writing sucks. And uh, but then I would write these one man shows that won awards were always selling out across the country. And I was like, wait a minute. It finally dawned on me like, oh, wait a minute. They were never going to do these movies because it was Latinx stories with Latinx cast. If I if I had flipped them and made them white movies, they would have worked like Alfonso Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro and Inara to do movies in Hollywood with only white people. They don't use Latin people and they get their movies done. I didn't realize that there was this unspoken quota and this uh, the, the stingy um, tokenist tokenism, uh, you know, and these glass ceilings that were <laughs> that were banging on my head. I, they, I just didn't see them. I thought it was a meritocracy. I, I was naive. I was naive. I thought it was I thought Hollywood and art was a true meritocracy. You know, I was young. I was naive. I, I guess I'm still naive, not young. <laughs> 
but you can uh, see by the zoom. <laughs> Mike, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking pretty damn slick. You're looking better than me. That is, that is for sure. Well, um, Brown don't break down. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned there the idea that you know there's um, you know gatekeepers in in theater and animation must be the same as well. You've done so many animated films over the years. It must be something that you you found. Oh, yeah, the gatekeepers definitely exist in 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 Hollywood and in in networks and in streamers, and that's why all of us are asking that we need to to be represented in executives. You need executives who who see our stories, who see the value in our stories, who look like me, and they're tell. And if you're rejecting me, I'll I'll take it a lot easier than than um, some white guy who because I heard this all my life, you know, uh, tr- from producers who are trying to be kind to me. They're like John. Too bad you're Puerto Rican because you're so talented. You'd be a superstar by today. Or, or, or you pitch a story and they go, oh, I love the story, but Latin people don't like feel-good movies. What do we like? <laughs> Depressing, suicidal flicks? I mean, what is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life? I did everything I could not to laugh in that man's face because it was ridiculous to hear things like that. that we, we don't like feel-good movies that Latin people don't want. This is for another executive I've heard. Latin people don't want to see Latin people. I'm like, so you mean you mean when I go to Christmas and Thanksgiving, I don't really want to see my family there. I want to see the Brady Bunch. I want my family to be removed because I only want to see white people. This is what I've heard in my life. These are true quotes. Wow. And it's like they're almost like they're quoting from research that hasn't happened. Is that it's just that there's it's their gut exactly. feeling. Oh, exactly. You know, that's what we call here the uh uh Hollywood wisdom, which is really like masked racism and, and what it's sexism. Absolutely. Oh my god. Um well You've had this incredible career, and there are a couple of films I wanted to talk about with you specifically today. And one of them is one of my favorite films ever, Carlito's Way, <laughs> because I Benny Blanco from the Bronx, man, that is that is an iconic character. And you know, I'm still not sure if I've forgiven you for killing Al Pacino. Man. <laughs> are you Italian? No, because <laughs> Italian people get mad at me. Like I'll be in the airport or on, on the subway and they'll go, Hey, what'd you have to kill Pacino for? He was going to get away. And I'm like, excuse me, sir. But um, it's, it's not a documentary. It's a narrative. It's a fiction. It's made up. <laughs> he really is still alive somewhere uh, in downtown Manhattan or in LA. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I know people haven't forgiven me because he was going to get away, but yeah. Uh, uh, Benny Blanco from the Bronx, you know, uh, this was my first time working with Pacino. My second time working with uh, De Palma I had done uh, Casualties of War. And uh, I don't know, De Palma helped me find myself filmically. He, uh, you know, this was the era of film. It wasn't digital yet. And I did for that. My entrance, he, he did 30 takes, which is unheard of. You know, I'd done a lot of independent films where you had to beg for another take and you had to have a good reason why you wanted to do another take. And you sometimes you had to make up shit just to, to get a director to shoot a little more film. Yeah. But he gave me 30 takes. And in those 30 takes, it was like a film course for me. I tried everything I could. And I learned that there is no wrong and that there is no bad. You just have to give as much as you can, as much variety. And that's how you make film. And, and that was the best gift that De Palma ever gave me of any filmmaker. That's amazing. And uh, was that the same for that scene? I don't want to, you know, not talk too much about the scene where where benny blanco just dis- dispatches oh, no, but I do, i've seen it by now come on you have to see, I've seen it. Well, I'll it away. 30 years later <laughs> <laughs> but that was on location wasn't it that 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 scene in the yeah, train that was, station that was on location. yeah that was a that was a masterpiece that was a brian de palma gift to the world 
It took three days to shoot in Grand Central. We shut it down and, and, and shot, shot at night, three nights, uh, and perfectly orchestrated with that steady cam coming up the escalator into the subway, popping in and out. It was it was masterful to watch. I mean, it was I mean, it was it was it was a masterpiece and it was incredible to watch. And uh, and then, you know, I, I do what I do. And, you know, and, um, and you know, this was a thing, too, like, you know, um, what's what's happening with guns in Hollywood right now. That was also a thing. I had a, a torch gun, which I'd never used in my entire career. You know, it was like um, uh, you press the trigger and a flame comes out. And they, and they didn't explain to me that if I kept my finger on the trigger, it would keep throwing out a flame. So I burned Louis Guzman's hand a little bit. And he's like screaming, ow, ow. And I'm like, I didn't understand what was going on. And then, you know, they told me that I had to let go of the trigger. Nobody told me, you know, you get adrenaline. And and uh, so, I mean, luck, luckily, nobody really got hurt when I, when I was uh, on, 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 on um, holding yeah. the weapon. Absolutely. Wow. Blimey. Um, and John, I'll let you go in a, in a couple of seconds. But uh, I wanted to ask about... Uh, John Wick's car, because you were taking an awful long time to fix that car, sir. In two or one? <laughs> in two, in two. But maybe that's why they cut me out. <laughs> I, I had a fight sequence. I had a comic monologue, and they didn't make it to the cut. In two, because I got, yeah, I, I, I got to learn how to fix cars faster. Maybe. <laughs> All I'm, all I'm saying is, four is coming out next year, and you know people are expecting you to show up at the car at some point. Yeah, they ain't call me. I didn't get that call. Hello? Nobody there? Oh, yeah. Thank you, John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone to a different garage. Yeah, yeah, they called a better garage. Oh, man, that sucks. That sucks. And uh, I don't want to make you feel old, John. And this makes me feel old as well when I say this. But are you aware that a, that uh, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet is 25 years old this year? I mean, the play is a lot older. But Oh, yeah, that, I thought but, it was. He didn't just write that 25 years. Yeah, can you imagine? Work? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about how about that, that uh, Spawn is 25 years and they're remaking it? Super Mario Brothers is 25 years. They're remaking that. They're going to remake everything I did. Even the bad ones they're going to remake. I've been in 75 movies. Not all of them good. I can't brag about all of them. But but listen, there's some absolute belters in there. And do you ever think about, do you ever think about revisiting some of these characters? I'd love to see uh, Benny's way. <laughs> they talked about that so much during the era when it first came out. And I was like, yeah, bring it. Write a good script. But nobody wrote a good script. So it was never done. Oh, man. It would have been great, like a prequel, right? Uh the the Benny Blanco way. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because, I mean, that was the era. You couldn't do Carlito's way now uh, with an Italian white guy playing a Latin guy. You can't you can't get I mean, Scarface, you couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. And, and I'm happy about that. I mean, I don't know how uh, white actors feel about that, but I, I, I like <laughs> my people representing me. Yes, it's true. It's one of my favorite movies, but it is something that you bump up against every time you watch it. It's like a little bit. Pacino is not Puerto Rican. He's not. Yeah. He, but he grew up with a lot of Puerto Ricans. He grew up in Spanish Harlem or not, believe it or not. OK, so he had he had Puerto Rican through osmosis. <laughs> Indeed. And listen, on that note, I'm going to let you go. John Lucasamo, right, it's been man. an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Take yeah, care, man. Chris. Much love. Okay, so that was John Lucasamo. We'll be talking about Encanto later on in the reviews section of the show. But now it is time to delve deep into this week's generous helping of movie news. Well, actually, when I say generous helping, I'm thinking mainly of the dinners that are going to be served in America tonight because it is Thanksgiving as we're recording this. Mm. And Hollywood has clearly been preparing for Thanksgiving by just knocking off early. So there's not a lot (laughs) 
mm. really to talk about this no. week. But there's a couple of things we can mm. get our, our teeth into. Something interesting has happened in movie news, though, and that is there was a preview of the prologue to Jurassic World Dominion, mm. which was online. So that was nice. And, and this is the one that give... was on IMAX earlier this year, wasn't it? So and it's I now it's got so, a new yes. name now. It's called the prologue, not the preview. Like they've renamed it slightly and they put it online, <laughs> um, which is which is nice. But it's 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 a weird one because it? it feels a little bit like a David Attenborough. Yeah, it has a, it has a Planet Earthy vibe to it. It's just lots of dinosaurs feeding and titting about and stuff. Yes, it is. Until it's not. Until it's not. Until <gasps> that classic yeah. device two weeks later. But it's the, this time it's 64 million years. Later. Is that the biggest time jump in movie? <laughs> it might be. It genuinely might be. We flash forward 64 million years. What? The time jump in uh, 2000, or sorry, 2001, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> oh boy, no. Stanley Kubrick's 2001, it's not A Space million Odyssey. Years. I mean, it's, it, it's what not. is it? 10,000 years? No, that's more. It's a bit more than that, but it's, it's yeah, it's, it's so it's you from know. the cave, the cave blokes, the monkeys. It's yeah. from the monkeys, the cave blokes, the monkeys. I have seen the film, I promise learning you. To, <laughs> learning to use, throwing, yeah. use, throwing, use rudimentary tools. Doing drumming. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Doing, and then we cut to Ringo. And Ringo climbs out the TV. Of, I mean, I feel like there's probably been something with, you know, genuinely cosmic scope beyond that, but I'm, I'm struggling to think of it. Even Eternals one. doesn't, I mean, Eternals yeah. is yeah. just like, what, 7,000 7, years? 7,000 years, whatever. I mean, come on, guys. It's not even 2001 levels. Rubbish. Yeah. Rubbish. Try harder. But yeah, the, the hard cut in the Jurassic World Dominion prologue uh, from <laughs> then to 65 million years later. But I also think that, you know, they should be a bit more precise, don't you think? <laughs> so you're saying because the first one was 65 million yeah. years in the making, yeah. that this one then needs to be... Which is 29 years later. So it should be 65 million and 29 years later is what they should be doing. Okay. Um, I mean, are we sure about the 65 million years also? Was it 64 million years? No, it was 65. Was it 65? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel we need to be precise. I mean, what's what's the million years between friends? I mean, it's a T-Rex, right? Well, it's a T-Rex, but they lived in the upper Cretaceous, Cretaceous I mean, period. I was going to say, if we're going to get that particular, then these dinosaurs shouldn't have been sharing the screen. So well, Yeah, because they lived 68 to 66 million years ago, not 65 million right. years ago. So. so so I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Colin Trevorrow. I know that you and the peeps, I'm presuming that ILM and other effects houses are available, worked very, very hard on this prologue, but I'm afraid you're going to have to go back and change it to approximately 66 to 68 million and, 30 and 29 years later. There you go. That will work for there you. Go. Thank Len you. and only Len will be satisfied. Yes. And then you can begin the rest of your movie. And also, do Triceratopsises and Brontosauruses, mm -hmm. like, were they part of the same period of the Tyrannosauruses? Well, it's funny. No, so the, 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 we saw a lot of the... <laughs> We saw a lot of avian dinosaurs, and they were around around the same time. They were because okay. Tyrannosaurus okay. was one of the last non-avian dinosaurs known to exist. Triceratops was around sixty-eight million years ago, um, and and yes, they they seem to have also died out in the Cretaceous Holocene extinction event, of course, which I know Obviously. was on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, uh, sixty-six million years ago. So I do think the sixty-five is problematic, guys. Uh -oh. Let's move. Dinosaurs back. are cancelled, folks. Yeah. <laughs> that is it. They had their shots. It's over for them. Good luck getting work on anything <laughs> oh, well, other wait. than GB News. The Brachiosaurus lived 154 to 153 million years ago. It's all bullshit, guys. Yeah, it is bullshit. Ah, oh, 
I'm just heartbroken. Because the thing is, you can get away with that in Jurassic Park and Jurassic World because, you know, Hammond doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Like, he cloned anything. But, like, if we're going back, like, 65 million years, then I'm afraid the dinosaurs need to be in their proper timelines. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. I'm outraged. Yeah. Anyway, I, other, other than that, I had a great time. Also, what was the thing that bit the T-Rex at the beginning? What That's was a that? gigantosaurus. Did you just make that up? No, I, I read it. It was a do you think he saw us? Yes, it was a gigantosaurus. That yeah, because it had more of a spiny back, but not a full. But it wasn't a spinosaurus. Back. Yeah, yes. yes. Or a Gigantoraptor or a Gigantus? Gigantosaurus. Gigantosaurus is an animated series, according to. <laughs> that was in the article. That was oh, in the article, okay. and I have to say, on EmpireOnline.com. Oh, we don't want to read that shit. No, <laughs> it's almost certainly inaccurate. Absolutely. No, well, that wasn't a raptor. No, I know it wasn't. Well, a raptor isn't a raptor. So. Okay, but I'm just saying, Gigantosaurus. I, I'm not sure where that coming comes from that's all all right well it's all made up nonsense it is gigantospinosaurus gigantospinosaurus you're just making dinosaurs up now you can't just name dinosaurs willy-nilly you can't just put saurus on the end of whatever you like look i'm not making it up but apparently there was one find it's a bazonkasaurus yang in 19 i'm afraid helen is a (laughs) make-up-asaurus It was found near Jingquan, the first it's fossil, in 1985 and was reported in 1986. Pedantosaurus fun it, sponge. What was it reported for? It was initially mistaken as a specimen of Theogianogosaurus and then was renamed Gigantospinosaurus. Didn't he direct one of the Taken movies? <laughs> what? Aren't you glad I'm here with Google? <laughs> I what? don't know what's happening. Where were you going with that? It's hard to say. Um, <laughs> Are we done with dinosaurs? Uh, that's right. <laughs> Asaurus. <laughs> Olivia Megatonosaurus, yeah. Uh, okay. Olivia Mast- Mastodon. Yes, Jesus that's Christ. Right. Um, All right. Anyway. Well, it was good. Okay. It was good. Yeah, yeah it was good. Honestly, I liked it. Like, even by the mm. standards of those movies, that opening sequence 65 million years ago or 66 mm. is stunning. Like yes. the, the animation on that, the, the creation is absolutely mm-hmm. drop dead gorgeous. And the uh, and the scene in the drive in is very Spielbergian. I, mm. I loved the little touches to that. I thought mm-hmm. it was great. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it needed Attenborough, though, didn't it? It needed. Everything needs Attenborough. Yeah. On the plane and doing all that sort of stuff. Oh my god, that'd be amazing! Yeah. A gigantosaurus. I've looked it up. It I've exists. looked it up. It's a real thing. Fuck you! It's a gigantosaurus <laughs> eating an Olivier Megaton. <laughs> <laughs> the Olivier Megaton is frightened. It paces away from the gigantosaurus. It has a very particular set of skills. It's natural defense mechanism to make a bad film. <laughs> oh, that's oh, hard. Come, come on, on. Olivia Megaton is a bad hard. filmmaker. Oh, he's come a bad now. filmmaker. Come now, he's a bad. I know filmmaker. he's been dead for sixty-four million years, but still, <laughs> still, it's too soon. <laughs> he was brought to Earth in the uh, the asteroid that actually destroyed the dinosaurs because I believe that was an explosion of many megatons. Oh, <laughs> you can tell there's no news this week. I also <laughs> think it was. Uh, I think it's pronounced Megaton. Genuinely. <laughs> 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 Well, that's not yeah. as funny. It's not as funny, is it? Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I, I have a PSA for people. Given that it is, you know, the Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving time, we should all be thankful. We should for, be giving thanks. Yeah, we should be giving thanks for Star Trek because, as you may know, Star Trek yeah. was unceremoniously yanked Star Trek Discovery from Netflix with wow. very, very little warning, mm. uh, and went on Paramount Plus in the states. No but, one likes to be unceremoniously yanked without <laughs> warning. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, but. It was not going to go out like international audiences were not going to be able to see Discovery until next year because it was going to arrive on Paramount Plus when that service arrives in 2022. Yes. Uh, The Star Trek fans, the Trekkies, were unamused Mm. by this development. As they frequently are. (laughs) As they frequently are. They were not happy in the slightest. They set phasers to whinge and uh, (laughs) Paramount listened. They actually listened. And they released a statement saying that we've listened to our international audiences and Star Trek Discovery will appear in the UK on the UK's. Premium 
free streaming service, Pluto TV. In which point, at which point, every single one of us went on Google and Googled, what the fuck is Pluto TV? I've never fucking heard of it. Um, and downloaded the app. And at nine o'clock tonight, as we go out on Friday at nine o'clock mm-hmm. tonight, you will be able to see the first two episodes of Ooh. the new season of Star Trek Discovery. Oh, that is good. I had yeah. not heard the happy ending, as it were, yeah. to that Yes, the unser- unceremonious yank does have a happy ending. Yes. Wow. Um, well. Yes. So you'll be able to watch Star Trek Discovery tonight <laughs> at nine on Pluto TV. Whatever is this, is this like, is. This is like Babe Station? So at midnight, you only get like the first 30 seconds of Star Trek Discovery, but then for the good stuff, you have to dial in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not, it gets pixelated after the title sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Does it show up in your bill? <laughs> oh God! Oh no! Check it out. So I see Sarah ordered fifteen ninety nine on Sarah's room. Yes, yes. Two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Was it? Damn it! <laughs> I got lonely. <laughs> what, can, what can I say? Never um, unceremoniously yanked a Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. So anyway, that's uh, that's that's on tonight. So hey, you know, right. good. Speaking of other things, yeah, sure. Am I the only person in this room who's excited about Get Back? No, I'm excited. Yeah. Get Back has uh, launched, uh, as we speak, the first episode of Get Back. Is it an episode? This is the thing. This is such a weird... I don't know what it is. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it's eight hours long, so I don't think we can call it a film. This is Peter Jackson's three-part deep dive documentary assembling and remastering footage of the Beatles when they were making Get what was then Get Back, which became Let It Be. And now all three parts are about to be, by the time you listen to this, part two will be out. And then tomorrow, Saturday, part three will be out. And it's nearly eight hours long. And I just don't have the time to watch this at the moment. I've had, I had a link and I haven't had the time. I just, I don't have the time. I need more time. If only we had more time. Time is the fire in which we burn. Mm. It, it is. It really is. The timey uh, wimey stuff. But I'm yeah. excited about it. I am, yeah. uh, it's, I'm fascinated to see just how, much goes into things that were happening when the Beatles were recording Let It Be and arguments that may or may not have taken place and, uh, you know, George Harrison quitting the band and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Jimbo, as someone who does not know the Beatles and... Couldn't uh, give a fuck. Uh, if I had a picture of them right now, do you think you could name them? Sure. You could probably name them, but could you identify them? If I held I would say if Lennon, you showed me all all four of them, four, it's four, isn't it? Oh yeah. God. If you showed me all four of them, I could name them, but only because I recognise three of them. If you showed me George Harrison in isolation, not with the other ones, I absolutely wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. He's the one who looks like John. Oh, okay. Well, I can pick John out of a lineup, so that that would be fine. <laughs> Who's that? John. Good. Not the Nugent. one. Not the one we were just talking about. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. Who? Is who's that? Absolutely no idea. That's Ringo. Oh my god! Is it? Oh my god! <laughs> Are you doing your house of Gucky thing? Are you gaslighting? I was us? a little bit. Yes. Fucking hell! <laughs> it's Gucky. It's it's Gucky. Uh, who is it? I don't know. It's George Harrison. It's George Harrison. See, that's I what I'm telling you. I don't know what George Harrison looks like. Couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Couldn't at all. All right. Okay. Hang on, George Harrison, he's the one who was actually Khan, right? In Star Trek Into Darkness? No, that was John Harrison. Damn it. <laughs> who is... Who's that? It's very far away, I can't tell. <laughs> is it better now? <laughs> or now? Or now. <laughs> the, the green rings are clearer than the red ones. Does that help? That, that's, the, that's the drum man. The drum man. The drum whose man. Whose name is... Yeah, whose name is Ringu. Ringu, yes. okay. <laughs> no, Pingu, I think you're fine. Pingu, okay. Uh, he, and then, he crawled out of my TV once. 
by a process of elimination, <laughs> even God. even James will be able to get this one. Who's that? Oh yes, that is um, uh, 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 Phil Collins. Well, there we go. There we go. All right. So I'm excited about it. Are you, Jimbo? No. Great. Okay. So Delroy Linda's been cast in the MCU. He is going to, uh, we haven't talked about the Marvel Cinematic Universe in about five minutes. (laughs) I was getting withdrawal symptoms, so I thought I'd throw in a bit of news. Uh, Delroy Lindo has joined the cast of Blade. Blazer. Blazer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. At least we amuse ourselves. Um, Who is he? Is he Whistler? No one knows. They have not announced this. He's Whistler. He's Whistler, right? He's Whistler. He's got to be Whistler, Mm. probably. You know how to Whistler, don't you, Delroy? Uh, I don't know. It might be. He might, might be. He might be a baddie. He might be a goodie. I don't, they haven't announced it. But the fact that other casting is happening for that, mm. uh, along with certain other recent developments, uh, would seem to suggest that this is coming together quicker than mm-hmm. we had perhaps anticipated. It hasn't been given a date yet, but Blade. Well, there was. It? Yeah, uh, there was I've a weird it. thing um, Ooh, the other uh, a few like weeks ago things. where uh, I think it was Marvel India. So like a. a an official Marvel account right. for India uh-huh. apparently put something up saying Blade October 2022, but then immediately took it down again. So it might not be that far off by the standards of these things. Even if that's wrong, I think we're looking at end of next year, beginning of 2023. I'm quite psyched for Blade, it has yeah. to be said. I'm, I'm excited. As long as some motherfucker is trying to ice skate uphill, yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. I love yeah. that first one. It was so good. First and second, second one's great. Second, well. second one's great. Yeah. Yeah. Third one is a clusterfuck. Oh, uh, but it has that line. Yeah, it that does you have the cock yeah. juggling thundercunt in it, which yeah. is the it greatest does. work of screenwriting mm-hmm. in living memory. And this so. is one of the few times that I will tolerate the use of that word uh, on this podcast because <laughs> it's one of the greatest lines in movie history. And cock juggling wow. thunder bangly bang doesn't really have the same ring to it. It doesn't have the same no. ring, no, no. sadly. But. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I've got all sorts of concerns about it. You know, PG-13, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, you're going to incorporate vampires into the MCU. But yeah, uh, I, I'm excited about that. And Delroy Lindo is very cool. So, so cool. yeah, so far they're two for two in terms of the casting. They well really done. are. Have you seen that, you know, that scene of him dancing in um, The Five Bloods? Mm-hmm. There's that, that bit where he's sort of, they're, they're kind of almost doing a dance line, a sort of soul train thing. Um, it fits any piece of music ever made. It's amazing. Lamara, who we all know, um, sometimes just puts it against whatever piece of music on Instagram and it fits all of them. He looks cool, whatever he's dancing to. You can put that like to some Mozart, you can put it to heavy metal, it doesn't matter. He still looks cool and on beat. I don't know how it works, but there you go. Just thought I'd share that. All right. Good stuff. Anything else you want to talk about? Any other things happening? There has been no movie news this week so whatsoever. No I think we've done very well to get this far, talking about so little. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a cute trailer for DC's Super Pets movie. DC's That's League cute. of Super Pets. League of Super Pets, I apologise. Yes. My God. DC's Imagine League of Super Pets. Suggesting they were not in League. My um, apologies to Crypto the Superdog. Uh, yeah, this looked fun. It's Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne the son John Rock, uh, as... Crypto, who is Superman's dog, yep. and then um, Superman and the Justice League get kidnapped by Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. Then Crypto must swing into action <laughs> along with a bunch of other animals that have been given powers. So they weren't powered, and now they are powered. And one of those pets is Kevin Hart playing an indestructible dog. Uh, and they do seem to have a lot of banter together. What? Which, which is good. The you know, Rock Kevin, and Kevin Hart? Yeah, I know. I was ah. surprised. I was as stunned as you are. Uh, but yeah, it looked fun. Trying to make me laugh a number of times. 
Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. All well right. done. The DC. <laughs> Who's a good dog? Who's a good? <laughs> Who's a good League of Super Pets? Uh, <laughs> looks like a looks like it could be uh, fun. Anything else to talk about, or should we just bring this uh, this deathless oh, news section to an end? There's a, there's apparently some magazine out that we should talk about. Oh, I, keep, I, I genuinely forgot about that, even though it is literally here in front of me. So it is New Empire Day, folks. Woo! As we Bobby are Fett recording this on the cover, yes, Bobby Fett. He was a pal of the Beatles, hung around with them in Hamburg, <laughs> and uh, he uh, he he it what this thing anyway. So the, on the cover, very exciting, is a TV show. Normally, I would be up in arms about this. Of course. But this isn't any other TV show. This is The Book of Boba Fett. Now, Helen's up in arms about it because mm-hmm. she hates Boba Fett. But get him dead. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Get him dead. Um, yes. So, on the cover, we have, we have, we, we did the world's first look at The Book of Boba Fett, which mm-hmm. is going to be streaming on Disney Plus from December 29th. It's going to be interrupting and ruining our Christmas holidays. So, we could do a spoiler special. I mean, I think we'll, we'll survive. Will we? Yeah. Will we? Will we, Helen? Um, anyway, so... It's no good to me, dead. Yeah. Uh, ben interviewed Ben Travis, took time out from his busy schedule of serial killing uh, <laughs> to, to, um, to talk to pretty much everyone involved with the TV show. The Book of Boba Fett, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, Robert Rodriguez, Ming-Na Wen, and Boba Fett himself, Tamura Morrison, all talking about it and he also spoke to Kathleen Kennedy as well and got some little tidbits on the future of Star Wars so that is that's good stuff that's in there that's exciting and what else is in the issue West Side Story (laughs) I'll just be over here has Spielberg jumped the sharks (laughs) or the jets hey Hey. (laughs) Um, yeah so it's uh, it's the the story of that um, and why it's taken him his entire career to date to make a musical so um, looking forward to that one. Um, mm-hmm. Ralph Macchio also talking about Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, um, which is a bloody great show, which I still, ooh, I still haven't finished. Ooh, that's good. There's, there's my evening plans. I'm very okay. exciting and fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So Ralph Macchio, we also have a review of 2021. Yeah, we do. Uh, speaking to a whole bunch of people. I give 2021 the... two stars. Really? Wow, mm. that's harsh. Well, I mean, fair, but don't spoil the um, review of the year podcast, which we have yet to record. <laughs> we're waiting till we see all the big films, all the ones that we're going to hoover up the uh, the likes of No Way Home and Matrix Res- uh, and Matrix Resurrections, and what's the other one? West Side Story Spidey? being one of them. I've said Spidey. Oh, sorry. Um, so we'll be doing that later on as a podcast. So don't give away your star rating of 2021 yet. Although it has been a shit show. Yeah, it has been. In it's the been Fuck Factory, yeah, hasn't it? The it only really reason has. it doesn't get one star is because Dune came out this year. So That's fair, mm. yeah. I don't mean cinematically. Cinematically, it's actually no, been pretty decent. It's been, yeah. I mean, but given, been, given the circumstances, mm. the cinema has done quite well. But just as yeah. a year, yeah, it can fuck yeah. off. Yeah. Although it's been, I, I quite enjoyed it. Oh, it's been a bin fire. Really? Yeah, it's mm. not been great. Awful. Awful year. Five stars. Who else we speak to? Catherine Han. We have Empire's Top 10 of the Year. The year, of course, because magazines work in some sort of weird way, and I've never quite understood it, but there it is. This is the way it is. So be it. This is the way. Our review of the year comes at the beginning of December, when we haven't seen a whole bunch of movies. But hey-ho, Empire's Films of the Year, not including No Way Home, The Kingsman, West Side Story, and Matrix Resurrections. Resurrections! (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Home Sweet Home Alone, and Matrix Resurrections, Mm. which is a name I can say first time. Uh, we also have a Funny feature <laughs> fun fact fun fact not a weird thing to say at all uh, we also have a feature on the 355 which I wrote and Ooh. this was news to me because <laughs> I wrote it like a year and a half ago <laughs> and then so someone and then obviously the film got pushed back mm-hmm. and so our sub was like 
I've got a couple of questions about your 355 feature. I was like, I don't remember writing it, so <laughs> I can't help you. I had this recently. I was going through old emails and, and found a review of a film I do not remember seeing. It's a detailed review. I definitely yep. saw the film. Yep. No idea. Couldn't, no idea. Couldn't pick it up out of a lineup. Absolutely. I just I, I have a breaking news broadcast that's just come in on my phone, and that's that uh, there's snow forecast because Storm Arwen <gasps> has arrived with 75 mile an hour winds. That's a fucking brilliant name for a storm. That's an amazing name for a storm. Storm Arwen. Wow, the evening star brings oh, storms. Yeah. yeah, and snow. Squee. 70% chance for Saturday. Oh. oh my goodness, I'm going to visit my small niece and nephew. Oh. It's a good job I have no life and won't be leaving my house. Oh, but it's only on oh, Saturday. Except to like stump run. Don't blame this, really. Yeah, it's not cold enough really to stay. So mm. yeah, disappointing. Oh, Arwin. Uh, try better, Arwin. Yeah, uh, what else we got? Paul Thomas Anderson. He is back. The second best directing Paul Anderson is wow. back. Uh, and he is <laughs> he's here with his new film, Licorice Never pizza. put licorice on pizza. Never yeah. put never put uh, an event on horizon. Never put licorice on a pizza. Uh, and he is back and we talk to him about that. There's other things in there as well. Uh, Benelin Cumberbund talks about his new movies, the Power of the Dog and the Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. I spoke to Michael Bay and uh, lived to tell the tale. Uh, and he talked to me about his new movie, Ambulance. Uh, Christina Ricci is the pint of milk. Um, and there's some very exciting stuff, of course, in the best section of the magazine, which is my section, uh, the review section. So we have Joe Dante talking about the howling. Uh, but very exciting, very exciting, genuine world exclusive uh, is the return of the one, the only, author, visionary, dreamweaver, plus actor, <laughs> Garth Marenghi himself, returns to write exclusively for Empire this month. And I cannot tell you how exciting that's been. Uh, he hasn't done anything. We've had, we've, we haven't seen hide nor hair of Garth Marenghi for many, many years. And he has chosen for reasons that I cannot discern, Empire Magazine as his comeback vehicle. Uh, and so, through an intermediary called Matthew Holness, um, we made contact with Garth Marenghi, who of course is very reclusive. He's like the J.D. Salinger of authors. And um. he has written a piece for us about the great Marenghi movies uh, that never were. Obviously, he is a he's a pitching machine. He's got mm. ideas. He's burning with ideas and blood and bits of sick and... He has written for us this month about the, the Marenghi movies that almost were. And it's very, very exciting indeed. And that is in my section. So if you are a Garth Marenghi fan, if you have, like me, wallowed in Garth Marenghi's dark place and you've been yearning for more Marenghi, well, we have a virtual Meringue Marenghi for you. So <laughs> dig in. Oh, I do like Meringue. Oh, Garth Meringue. Mm. Mm. Uh, so that is on sale right now. The latest issue of Empire it is an absolute belter and it's on sale in all good and evil news agents and of course virtual ones as well so go out and get it right now pay our wages you absolute motherfuckers oh, we've talked about this seems to work though yeah I, I'm not sure that's long term a good position for your brand mm. I'll, I'll, genuinely I have not eaten a Yorkie since they started doing their not for girls um, campaign mm. And that was like 20 years ago. But that's also because your tiny lady teeth wouldn't be able to make a dent. I mean, apparently. So I stopped eating them at that point. So, you know. Don't like Yorkies. The, the biscuit and raisin one was quite nice. All right. I'll take your word or for it. Or I thought so at the time, but clearly it wasn't for me. So Clearly it wasn't for you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Webs. Should we All have right. another guest? Yay. Should we have Adam Driver? Woo. He's the only one left. I mean. Let's do him. Pretty good one. Is he outside? Adam Driver. Adam Driver.
Maybe if you give him the big intro, maybe then he'll come in. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of House of Gucky. It's Gucci. Stop gaslighting me, Helen. Gookie. Honestly. <laughs> Stop Gucci. It's Gucci. It's Gucci. Stop Gucci. House of no, Gucci. No, it's, it's absolutely what are you, what definitely are you doing? Gucci. What are it's you definitely doing to me? Gucci. It's not Gucci. <laughs> like oh, Gucci. God. It's, not, it's not Stanley Tukey. It's not Bernardo Bertolucci. It's Lucci. <laughs> it is Bernardo Bertolucci. Oh my God, now I'm, I'm only going to say Bernardo Bertolucci. That's amazing. That's <laughs> why well, they call him a Lucky Lou. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, I was inspired by a funnier die sketch with James Franco, which cannot be something people say often, <laughs> where he repeatedly mispronounced the name of the perfume he was advertising as Gucci. See, this would have been helpful gucky. information because you, you, for the last <laughs> two weeks, you have, with a straight face, corrected us on the podcast when we've said Gucci. I have corrected you. You I've, corrected I've merely, us. I've merely said it myself in a, as Gucci. And then I thought, have I been doing this wrong all this time? Is <laughs> yes. it actually House of Gucky? And then, and then I was like, Helen... I don't think this is right. And you were like, well, I'm quoting Funny or Die. Fucking Funny or Die, for the love I mean, of Christ. No, I'm sorry, but it's a funny sketch. Oh, my God. I choose Die. <laughs> not for you. Not for you, Thanks. obviously. Um, just a light maiming. Uh, we'll introduce you to Ben later on. Oh, bun, oh God. B- bone saw Ben. <laughs> oh, as, no. As, as James dumped him. Hey, look, I didn't create the monster. I just shone a light on him. The All lucky, right, Victor Frankenstein. The lucky ones die first. Uh, anyway, Adam Driver. He's in House of Gucci and other things. Here he is talking to Ben. So a huge welcome to the Empire podcast, one of the many stars of the ridiculously starry House of Gucci, Mr. Adam Driver. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. I'm very well. Are you in London at the moment? I know you've been around for the last couple of days. I, I Yeah, I'm in London right now. Yeah. In a, in a, in a uh, hotel room that's all blacked out. That, that's a, a great thing about acting is you go to these great places and you see their basements. <laughs> I, I imagine you spent years over in the UK doing Star Wars back in the day. Do you come back to London mm-hmm. to the UK often? How, when was the last time you were here? Oh, oof. I, you know, I haven't been here in about two years. I think maybe the last time I, I was here for, was for something like this. I, I can't remember. I can't remember the last time, actually. Yeah. But yeah, I spent a lot of time here shooting Star Wars. And um, I mean, we've had uh, many, many projects from you coming out this year, which has been a total delight. Uh, and among them, obviously, uh, House looking of... at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, among those, we've had uh, obviously House of Gucci, which I saw last night. It is fantastic. I had a fantastic oh, time you. watching it, and you're Thanks brilliant in it. Um, thank you. I have to start at the place where, I guess, for people outside the project, this began, which is with an Instagram post of yourself and Lady Gaga on the slopes, and you had on the most magnificent turtleneck sweater, which uh, you're wearing for many scenes in the film. Did you keep that sweater? It Was it as comfy as it looked? Tell me everything. Hey, well, I did not keep the sweater. Uh, I, well, because I didn't realize that what it was going to be a, a thing. You know, we. I, I'm the only thing I. Re- I'm like trying to scraping to tell you something interesting about it, but uh, it, it was literally sitting with Janty Yates and picking out a sweater, and I can't remember uh, who who was like, uh, "Let's just go with this one," and uh, that was it. I, I'll try to spice it up. <laughs> and, then, and then someone caught it on fire, and I put it out, and then uh, oh my god, you know, jumped in the snow and. Um, uh, no, that was it. And then we were shooting a scene and then, and then we knew we had to do this uh, thing to send out. So we just, we shot it real quick and then went back to the scene. I mean, it's, it's obvious to say in a film about Gucci, there is going to be incredible clothes everywhere. Was there anything that you were allowed to keep or, or anything that you were like, oh, I'd like that in my wardrobe? Yeah, I took a pair of Gucci uh, shoes 
uh, I, I always find this when you are shooting something for such a long time and you're wearing the clothes uh, for, you know, 14 hours a day for months is that you, you're like, oh, this is who I am. Like the, these, uh, the, I, I finally figured it out. So then you go back home and try to wear it on the street and you're like, I, well, I feel like a fool. You know, <laughs> but this is with everything, even last duel. I'm like, why don't people do chain mail anymore? It seems like a missed <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> you know, then you wear it to the grocery store and you're like, this is a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask about last duel because obviously House of Gucci is your second Ridley Scott collaboration um, in succession. And the last duel just came out. And again, I saw that and I thought it was fantastic as well. Okay. Um, they're coming out obviously very closely uh, together here. And I know Ridley shoots really fast as well. He kind of um, is able to, to kind of pivot from project to project. So what was the overlap for you? Did Last Jewel come first? How quickly did you move into House of Gucci? The, the timeline was, uh, actually, I think I had just finished Annette, or maybe, I think that might have been right when I found out about Last Duel. Then we finished Annette, a couple months happened, and we started Last Duel. I think that's how it worked. And then in the middle of last duel where we're done in the France section about to move to Ireland, COVID happened. And we thought it was going to be a couple of weeks. I think actually first off was like, Oh, we'll be back in two weeks. And obviously then it became what it became. And uh, you know, I was in New York for, you know, six months or something like that. And then as policy started coming to, well, you know, uh, taking shape, you know, the initial, uh, you know, how are we going to do this again? Because what we're doing, what, what we do for a living is the exact thing we're not supposed to be doing, which is getting in a room with strangers and talking at each other. Uh, when, when, when things started to, Oh, we were going to go back to work again, that in the middle of that, that's when, uh, uh, Ridley sent me the script for uh, Gucci. And I just had this, you know, two months working with him and loved it and, uh, him as a person and the way he works. And, um, so it was kind of a no brainer for me. I was, I was already excited to get back on, on set and finish last duel and then, uh, to work with him again, as soon as possible. So we finished last duel. I'm trying to speed this up. Uh, and then I actually shot, shot something else and then went right from that. Like literally, I think I finished like on a Friday and, you know, flew to Italy on a Monday, something like that to, wow. to start the Gucci, but he was storyboarding things for Gucci while we were shooting last duel. Same thing with Janty Yates when we were doing, uh, who does the costumes who's done the costumes for him since uh, gladiator. She's like, could you take off that uh, helmet? Could you put on this, you know, suit, you, you know? I mean, in terms of that, in terms of shifting between those projects, I'm really struck because Jacques Legree, who you play in the last duel and Maurizio Gucci, who you play here, uh, they're very, very different characters. And to me, they have quite different mindsets, although there are some similarities that I want to come to as well. But what was that like for you? kind of switching between those characters working with Ridley and as you say being introduced to the idea of Maurizio Gucci while you're in the middle of shooting uh the last duel it's hard to say what it's like again I had something in between uh the end of last duel and Gucci so it, it um I guess I guess what you're kind of asking is about putting on and taking off characters in a way, even though they're different, which for me it starts with the script and uh, thinking about it way in advance and doing the research that I can, which sometimes, I mean, my, uh, I went to school and uh, for acting and it, the environment was constantly working on different things at the same time, because they kind of shape you to be a repertory theater actor. 
And that, that always interested me. And I liked the, the workload of that where, you know, these old repertory theaters were, you know, they'd play Hamlet one uh, day, then they do long day's journey into night the next. Well, they typically should uh, stick with Shakespeare, but they or, or they, they and that, that I, I always loved. So I kind of loved, you know, shooting one thing, getting ready for another. But uh, the script is for me the uh, the thing that I hold on to the most and then ideas and conversations. So uh, we were talking constantly throughout the shooting of this thing that I did before with him called 65. And then we had two weeks when we got to Italy to all, all sit in a room together, Gaga, myself and Ridley for like the first week and then letting other people in the cast in the second week. And it, that, that was incredibly helpful, which we didn't do for last duel. Last duel, we just right. kind of all hit the ground running and, we had the script and we were having the conversations as we went. But for this, we, it was a lot of uh, talking about the, what she wanted to do, what I wanted to do, the, the journey of the character. And then those conversations continued all the way to the last day of shooting. Mm. I mean, I found Maurizio Gucci a really interesting character. And I wondered about your way into him because he's somebody as somebody who didn't know this story. Um, I didn't necessarily expect him to be somebody who to me seemed to have a bit of discomfort initially with the Gucci name. You see those moments where he's working for the Reggiani family business and he gets to kind of goof off a bit and, and play football. And he seems happy and relaxed in a way that he doesn't seem to be obviously around his own family and the family business. But he also then gets sucked into the the power and the allure uh, of that later in the film. So what was your conception of the character and, and how did you find your way into him? Everything you're saying is exciting to me because that's those are the exact same the the things that we talked about. So it's nice to know that you're you're getting that is someone who starts. How does someone who starts the most aware of the pitfalls of, you know, uh, fame and luxury and image and legacy and what a curse it kind of is that, you know, you know, Gucci o Gucci in his mind started the company based on a lie you know, a fantasy. And it's something that he has had distance from and watching his father and his uncle, and he sees how much that's polluted their uh, relationship to each other and relationship with the business and their, you know, aspirations. And I think he he starts, um, even though he has a little faculty, all, all of his decisions in life were being oversaw by his father, it, it, who was con incredibly controlling, it, even to the who he dated, who he married, obviously, that was still important, very important at the time. And he meets Patrizia, this exotic thing who is, is so outside of his world. And I think that initially there's no chance that that's going to happen. So he starts the most collegiate, the most kind of, we talked about, there's like a, a Cary Grant awkwardness to him. There's a gracefulness, you know, that just becomes his, you know, backbone gets a little more solidified as he starts coming into his own, even him taking over the business isn't a decision that he made. It's something that has happened to him. Everything in his life, people are kind of dictating his uh, his actions. So Patrizia kind of takes over because she can. And it's not until later in life that he starts to be seduced by this thing that he knows is toxic and kind of play play acts for a long time. His suits become a little crisper. His, his stance is a little different. He becomes a little bit more hard-edged and a little uh, uh, more cynical. And then not until, again, the company is taken away from him, again, not, not a decision that he makes, does he start to become uh, his own person? You know, he's not, he's not uh, riding a Lamborghini at the end of the movie, he's on a bicycle, and he's not holding on to the handles, he, he has freedom. You know, he's riding it on his, uh, on his own, and he feels free and the most at ease with himself. So that, that, that journey, to me, is, is uh, 
how Ridley saw it and it being a three act play. And we talked a lot about and what was interesting in playing it. So the, the elegance of him and uh, his sophistication and his, uh, you know, arrested development, you know, was uh, all things that we were, were at play. I hope. I mean, I, I've definitely felt that in the film, and I'm really interested in in the characters that you play and their relationships with control. Because if you look at a character like Jack Legree, he has a very composed surface, but actually he cannot control himself. He does not control himself. Uh, Maurizio Gucci doesn't want that control, and it doesn't sit easily with him. And then when he tries to take it, it it doesn't kind of naturally sit with him. And you look at a character like Kylo Ren as well, who obviously, again, has that kind of trying to project an, a, an image of control, but internally is kind of melting down. Is, is that something that attracts you when you're looking at characters uh, to, to delve into? It's not something I'm looking for. I, I think it's just something that has kind of uh, happened with those two people. Uh, less with the, I, I guess, the, I mean, you could really talk about control with every character. I, I, I understand the comparison of, uh, of uh, Kylo Ren and a uh, 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 Maurizio Gucci, because there is a play acting that's that's happening, you know, and they're both literally wearing clothes that are uncomfortable, the, in, uh, which was very much part of the dialogue and shaping both of those costumes. You know, what at what point do they become most at ease? You know, you know, uh, when he becomes uh, Ben Solo, does he have the most flexibility? You know, and, and everything is kind of fighting him. Every everything's uncomfortable. And same thing with Maurizio. It, you know, he. When he becomes the uh, closer to who he actually is, does he does he uh, have a little more comfort? Uh, Jacques Legree is someone who just takes things by entitlement. It, it, his his uh, his crime is his ignorance and uh, his, um, his assumption. I mean, there's an obvious crime of rape, uh, uh, but he, he it's hard to look at. Uh, th- that movie, I would imagine, with a, uh, a modern day lens, even though it's kind of. You know, it's hard. It's hard not to. If his the the arrogance and uh, and the assumption, and you know, I don't think of him as a rapist. I I think of when you're playing him. I don't think you can't, even though he he is he's in love with uh, with Marguerite. He, that that's that's the only way to play it in my mind. So I'm not I'm not thinking about those uh, uh, the overall things or what the how the look of it on the outside. For me, that was the way into that character. He loves her. And he, he's not really, he's just naturally assuming that she loves him back, which is uh, uh, incredibly dangerous. Well, thank you so much for your time, Adam. It's been lovely right. to speak to you. And congratulations you. on your many, many films this year. Uh, <laughs> I, I apologize. You know, you do these things and they come out and you have no control. So it's, uh, it's too much of my face, but thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Cheers. All right. Adam. Thank you. Okay, so that was Adam Driver, and now it is time for the reviews section of the show, and there's only really one place to start, and that is with House of Gucci, which Mm. is not going to be on your Silverplex, it's going to be in your Multiplex this week, uh, and it's Ridley Scott's second movie in pretty much two months. Not bad for a man who's, what, 83? I think so, yeah. Not bad at all. Uh, And so this one is, um, uh, well, Helen can tell the Mm. story. But yeah. hopefully with the correct pronunciation. Maybe-ish um, correct pronunciation. So um, our heroine, and I use the term extremely loosely, is Patrizia Reggiani, who is played by Lady Gaga. And she is a sort of moderately well-off woman uh, in Milan who is working as a secretary in her dad's business when she meets Maurizio Gucci, played by Adam Driver. 
And she just loves the idea of being a Gucci. But she also, I think there's there's genuine affection there and, and loves him as well. And the two of them get married. But he is disinherited by his father, Rodolfo, Jeremy Irons. And the wedding is, is, a, is a quiet affair as a result. His side of the church is pretty much entirely empty. And um, and she feels the lack. She feels this this fact that he's cut off from his family. And a little bit later, through his uncle Aldo, played by Al Pacino, she sets about restoring oh. him to the family bosom and also restoring herself to a position of power and wealth and influence mm-hmm. as part of this fashion dynasty. So yeah, so that's kind of the, the beginning of the setup. The, the problem for Patricia is that as time goes on and as Maurizio becomes more powerful, more established, he relies less upon her and uh, puts less store in her opinions and kind of remembers that he's a Gucci and uh, rubs it in her face that she is not by birth. Gookie. Oh, sorry, Gookie. Um, and it becomes it becomes a real bone of contention between them and things go horribly wrong. Um, mm. That's the basic setup of the plot. I haven't mentioned Aldo's son is Paolo Gucci, played by Jared Leto, who is absolutely unrecognizable <laughs> under layers of... Weird performance choices, uh, uh, rather than prosthetics. I mean, there are prosthetics there too, but th- that's not what makes him unrecognizable. I hope, there is, I hope there's no prosthetics. I, 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 I have just... faith in him and his ability <laughs> to transform himself chameleon-like. I mean, it is chameleon-like. Um, if chameleons were were horrifying um, in every way, I, I d- this film makes one major creative decision that I think is probably the worst creative decision of this entire year. And oh. that is to have everybody speak in cod Italian accents. So yeah, no, I, I've got to. I, I, okay, I will say full disclosure. Full disclosure. I haven't seen this film yet. Okay, James hasn't seen this film yet. Brilliant. Which is why he's on his phone, not listening to us. <laughs> I mean, in first, that's usual. <laughs> that is usual. But sight unseen, mm-hmm. based on trailers alone and some other word of mouth from people who are saying that this is the best creative decision any movie could have made. <laughs> and in fact, I think that every film should go back and have the actors speak in exaggerated Italian accents. I think that's exactly what we okay, should do. Okay, but here's my, here's my suggestion to you in that case. Pick one. Pick one it's called Italian accent. Don't pick all of the vaguely Italian-esque accents and have everybody do different ones. What are we talking here in terms of Italian accents? Are we talking, um, okay, on a sliding not, scale from Mario yeah, it's, to the Italian bloke from Alolo? Ah. <laughs> what a mistake to make. I like what a mistake to make. Yeah, it's it's not far off either of them. It's Correct. Right <laughs> Listen, you're, you're selling this. You're saying this bad creative decision, but this is the, precisely mean, why I want to see this film. The, yeah, but that accent from everybody for two and a half hours, Chris. <laughs> yes. Bring it on. Okay. Anyway, the the the, the style is fabulous, at least. Uh, Lady, Gaga, Lady Gaga, I think, is great in this. Good job. Good job. Lady Gaga is Gaga. great in this. She is having um, a whale of a time and is really committed. And there is a sort of, there is a kind of tragic irony to, I think, her character's arc. And I think, you know, this is all obviously based on a real life story and mm-hmm. her character's a monster in, in many, many ways. But she's also, there is, I think, a, a, a human being there underneath and there is kind of a tragedy there. And I think she plays that really, really well. I don't feel like the film necessarily gets massively under her skin and definitely doesn't get under the skin of Maurizio who just seems like a bit of a dick um, for most of this. But, um, but yeah, I, I, was, I was entertained. I, I was, it looks great. It, you know, the, the, it, like it's in these, obviously they live in amazing houses. They wear mm-hmm. amazing clothes, apart from Jared Leto. Um, Jared <laughs> Leto's doing whatever the hell he's doing. Um, yeah. I did find him 
tiresome apart from the bafflement, but it was it was undeniably a lot. So I guess he gets some points for that. Yeah, we've given this three, and I think that's probably about right. I think it's it's interesting and and bold and bizarre and not entirely successful. Five stars. Three Sounds stars. Like you just described five stars. Three stars. Okay. All right. All right. Listen, I'm all over this. I am. <laughs> I'm going to embrace this movie. I don't have a lot of time. Uh, at the moment, but I'm going to try and carve out two hours and 37 minutes mm. uh, to go and see House of Gucci this weekend. Gookie. Sorry, you're going to have to. You're going to say of Gucci. You're going to have to pick up a, an espresso on the way or a cocktail. I know you don't drink either, but like I it's don't. it's that kind of film. Uh, I might. I might. What 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 else could I do? That's not espresso. What's it? What's it? A bit of gelato. That's they Italian. do have yeah. gelato. Okay, right. you can do that. Yeah, fine. I could do that. All right, cool. All right, good. A million stars in for House of Gucci sounds great uh, and next up we have should we do Encanto next? Yay. let's do Encanto next Encanto Jimbo okay yes well this is the 60th depending on Whoa. which calendar you'd hear to Disney animated Gregorian. movie Gregorian Gregorian the Gregorian calendar okay fine uh, 65 million years 65th million Disney animated movie uh, this is directed by Jared Bush Byron Howard and Cherise Castro-Smith and this is a Colombian set tale, uh, which imbues itself with a little bit of magical realism. And this stars Stephanie Beatrice as Mirabelle, who is one of the younger members of the family Madrigal, who are a Colombian family who live in a magic house, which seems to be self-aware, and they all have special powers, which they use to benefit the community. Except Mirabelle is the only one who doesn't have a special power, because when she had her special birthday power-giving ceremony, the house didn't give her any powers, so she is powerless, except she has glasses, although that's not really a power. She also has fantastic hair. And this film is all about family and it's about saving the family, family when the magic at the heart of the family starts to waver. Family. What is behind that? Is she the cause? Can she be the saviour? What could it all mean? Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, I mean, plot-wise, it's quite hard to summarise, quite frankly. But yeah. um, I, I wasn't sure about this going in. So it's not, I mean, perhaps unlikely or unusual, I should say, for, for these Disney animated movies. It's not based on any kind of fable or or pre-existing property. It's an entirely new IP where they went to Columbia and they were like, what the fuck can we tell a story about? And someone said, hey, magical realism is nuts. You should do that. And that is what we have. And I actually think they did a really good job of adapting that kind of literary style to this animated movie. Because the sort of slightly weird uh, magical aspects to it quite seamlessly blend into the story as a whole. I mean, they form the, the spine of the narrative, but it feels very naturalistic. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel artificial. And she's a really lovely character. And I think that's just something about this. It's very wholesome. It is about family. I'm not going to lie. I do well up at multiple times. Mm -hmm. uh, the music is from Linny Manny and therefore is great. That said, I will say none of these have stuck in my head. And coming out of this, look, I'm a big Moana stan. Like, this is so Moana. Way, exactly, exactly, 100%. So I, it, it's not assailing the peaks of Moana or indeed Frozen for me in terms no, of bangers. But we have only heard it once. That is true. So that maybe. is true. But in terms of visuals, I think it's actually mm. hard to rival. Like it's so colorful. It's so, you know, it has a very unique, strong identity to it. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful film to see. It really is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lovely story and it, and it plays out very, very nicely. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it an awful lot. However, like I said, if you ask me to name and or hum a single song from this, I could not do it at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably fair. I think it's, you know, and, and the magical realism thing is very real. Like, this is 100 years of solitude 
with, you with, know, with talking animals. With talking animals. <laughs> or, yeah, kind of. And Or, or uh, love in a time of cholera with no cholera whatsoever. <laughs> there you is know. no cholera in this film. I can exclusively <laughs> reveal no, that no fact. Cholera. But yeah, but the, the idea is that they have fled persecution, that, that they were in yes. danger and that therefore this magic was a kind of a, a protection and a blessing. Mm. So there is real peril in the idea that the magic might be fading. And I think you know, there, it feels like there are stakes. It feels like there's kind of weight to this. It's not just like, oh, I would quite like some magical powers, please. That would be cool. Imagine if I could lift things like my sister. Mm. You know, um, there, there's a real kind of, you know, fragility to this to this idyllic family and, and a real sense that she's letting them down by not somehow having these powers that she wasn't given. So I think there's a lovely kind of story there about, you know, uh, figuring out your own way in the world and if you're not what your family expects you to be and and trying to accept yourself anyway and, and get your family to accept you anyway and kind of yeah there's some just really really nice ideas I think in this and it is like you say absolutely beautiful looking even by Disney standards mm. so yeah we give it four stars which I think is yeah. I think four on. stars is fair mm. four stars but no more Anna that's what I'm saying yeah uh, four stars then yes four stars then for Encanto next up we have a British movie a British movie called Pirates uh, it is not affiliated Arr. to the Pirates of the Caribbean series in <laughs> any way no. uh, it marks the directorial debut of Reggie Yates off the radio and I think it's a pretty good um, debut actually now this is set sort of coming up to New Year's well it's literally on New Year's Eve mostly uh, 1999 so this is about three friends uh, Kidda, Capo and Tutan played by Reda Elazoar, um, Elliot Adusha and Jordan Peters, who basically have to go on this kind of madcap adventure through different areas of London and different parts of their home, you know, hood, basically, to try and get tickets for the big party event of the year and also something to wear and also get the ticket to the girl they want to come with them because they're trying to pull her, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's basically a kind of madcap adventure through all of these different little stages. It's almost like a video game in that sense. You know, you've got to get the three coins here and then you've got to pick up the other thing here and then you've got to... I'm everything. loving your understanding of video games. I, carry look, on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's somewhat rudimentary, I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just trying to get all their st stuff together for the biggest night of ever. And um, and it's so again, it's, that is exactly the stakes. All we're looking for is, are these three kids going to have a good time on New Year's Eve. And and there is some, you know, sort of personal stuff in the background that they're trying to figure out at the time. But it's also incredibly nostalgic. If you're old like us, right, this is massive nostalgia because you just see like the models of phones that they're using mm. and are like, oh my God, it's a Nokia 3210. <laughs> and the ah! reference is, I'm going to Google it. What? It's a thing we've got at uni where you, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I know, right? It's, oh, anyway, so it is it is massive 90s nostalgia. The uh, the needle drops are superb that way. They're absolutely fantastic. And mm. also just like these three young actors who are fairly much entirely newcomers mm -hmm. um, are fantastic. They've got great chemistry together. They're funny. They're smart. They just kind of keep you, you know, popping along. So it's just, it's just, I really liked it. This is not going to change your world. It's not going to sort of, you know, cause you to rethink your relationships with everything, but it's just really nicely day. It's a sort of pre-social media, pre-everything being Googleable time, huh. maybe a slightly more innocent era, but it's, you know. It's gookyable. <laughs> it is an era where it like physically getting the physical ticket to a party was physically important and um and it is a major madcap quest for them all to go on. So yeah, I liked it. What did we give it? Three, we give it three stars. Three stars. Yeah. Three stars then for pirates. Uh, that was Jack Sparrow. 
<laughs> he he was uh, unavailable for this unavailable. Movie. Yeah. Jack Sparrow was unavailable. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Sparrow died on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> uh, speaking of needle drops, Christmas tree is going up next week. Very exciting. Very My tree's already exciting. up. That's true. He put his yeah. up after Encanto. I went, I went up early. Did you put it up yourself? Yeah. <laughs> no, James. <laughs> no, James. The correct response is that. No, I put it up my front room. Oh, I see. I see. Sorry. That's okay. I That's right. Uh, but yeah, my wife won't let me put it up before December 1st. I was all right. Sorry. I'm an independent man, but my, I can make my own decisions. But... Yeah, we we don't we have decided as a couple not to put <laughs> not to put the Christmas tree up before December first. Right. Yeah. So what? A minute past midnight on December first. Oh, I'm so excited! <laughs> I'm so excited! I cannot wait for that. Uh, and we'll sit we'll sit around uh, underneath the glow of the lights. Mm. We'll have a winter candle from the White Company. Other companies Ooh. and other candles are available. Four. No, that's a What makes it a winter candle? It's, that's that's the, ma- it's made the of name winter. Of the... <laughs> it's frozen winter and you yeah. melt it with a flame. <laughs> that's the okay, name good. of the scent. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've tried other candles that have a similar or promise a similar scent, which is basically a combination of mandarin, cinnamon and cloves. Mm. Right. But Classic. none get close. Yeah, none get close. It's, it's Honestly, and you just, the you just like burn it all the time. I mean, when, well, you're until the, when you're there, it stops. Yeah. Yeah. And do you yeah. have a real tree, like a made of made yeah. of actual real tree? Real tree, real tree. See, I have a yeah. plastic tree. Now, every year we're going to get them. We can get new. We're going to go bauble shopping this weekend. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to get that. We well, should oh, talk okay. to Helen. She's Hi. got all sorts of baubles. Yeah. I, uh, just, just very quick rundown mm-hmm. here, people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Selfridges has a good selection, but I think they're overpriced. Yeah. Uh, Liberties <laughs> is super, super, and super very dependent. overpriced. Mm-hmm. No, not actually compared to Selfridges. They're just oh, okay. expensive. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna hijack what you're about to say and ask you an impromptu new listener question. Bring it. What are the nerdiest baubles each of you have on your trees? Um, mine is probably Pinky and the Brain dressed up as Santa. That's okay, good. that's a winner. Yeah, that's a winner. I don't really have. Uh, we have. We have. We when, when we go to places, we mm. tend to buy a bauble that has that place. So we have a, a new bauble this year from the Giants Causeway because we went to the Giants Super. Causeway earlier on. Uh, I'm going to go out this week. I'm going to get the Thanos Infinity Gauntlet uh, bauble. That from, is already on my tree. That's on already in your tree. I'm aware of that. There's, but I think there's another one that they've brought out. Which is this is, what from the Disney store? Yeah, yeah. they've See, got a baby Yoda in his little floating like Christmas you know, stuff. But here's the thing: they're all made out of that resin, and it's very heavy. It, it is heavy. Branches it down. does. I've got like, BB-8. Always fucking ton plus they are overpriced I think the Disney store yeah. I'm just going to say it if you're going to make it out of that shit heavy resin then it needs to be about mm. a five or not 18 but I'd quid. rather the heavy resin than the glass which just breaks the first time you drop it okay but yeah. the, the trick then would be not to well I mean it, yeah I'm that's, that's like, true so I've got I've got long claw I have a long claw oh, from Game right, of Thrones yeah, yeah. on there uh, I have obviously a bauble shape like the Death Star because also I mean why wouldn't you of course uh, if I've got a couple, couple of Lannister one Game of Thrones one there as well uh, I've got a Hogwarts crest there, there are a number I'm, yeah. I'm not going to lie there are a lot of a, nerdy I have baubles a, I have a TARDIS uh, I have a Death of Rats <laughs> that's um, good and I, I do want a cap shield um, there was one a few years ago one of those crappy resin mm. ones but I yeah, why do they make a Infinity Gauntlet but not a cap shield the Infinity Gauntlet it, lights yeah. up but again it is very heavy like the branch yeah, just sort of see? bows heavy oh I know what it is there's a, there's a Baby Yoda one that I might get as yeah. well but yeah. uh, in terms of nerdy stuff I've got I've got a few Liverpool ones like a you know that's obviously my, really my type of nerdiness mm. I, I nearly bought one when I went to Anfield at the weekend um, which was 15 quid but it was a massive great big bauble that says you'll never walk alone on it and oh, I nearly cute. bought it that's cute. and I thought to myself you know what I'm going to get it on the online store and then of course they don't have it in stock in the online store oh. so I'm going to have to go back again uh, I'm going oh, back no, on the 11th of December I know what a, what a <laughs> terrible thing uh, but in terms of nerdy stuff I have a Hamilton oh yes I have two of those actually yeah yeah 
So I've got I've got that. Mm. Um, but I need to step up my game, I think, mm. when it comes to the nerdy stuff. Yeah. There aren't many if you look, if you're out there listening and you know of great Marvel Christmas tree bubbles, I'm here for you. I wanna I wanna hear it. But um yeah. so far I haven't seen great ones. Um but I, ju- I just have like stuff that amuses me. I have Santa being shot out of a cannon. You know, I have Oh, we've um, got the Lego one that we built ourselves. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Oh, I have a little Lego me with a Bah Humbug t-shirt for my uh, Christmas movies podcast that my friend sent me last year. I was that's very good. excited by that. That's good. Um, I have a... Doesn't uh, try to cut that out, you'll notice. <laughs> little Red Riding Hood and uh, the Big Bad Wolf uh, pair of bubbles. I have um, a Chinese dragon because um, nothing says Christmas like that. Yeah. I have a, a number of hot air balloons, mermaid, a merman dad thought I got this merman. year. Merman. 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 If anyone knows where I can get a sandworm bubble, please let me know. <laughs> I would like to be on my tree. Interesting. Interesting. Well, what I was going to say... You should stand by your Christmas tree and go... Yes, as it just thumped my foot on the floor until <laughs> yeah. one emerges. That's, yeah. that's what happened. Um, I can't help feeling we've now become derailed from the review section where we have a film. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was yes. just going to very quickly mention that um, uh, Ford and Mason, also expensive, but pretty good. And the best, most interesting, prettiest baubles, I regret to say, are Harrods. But if you want more affordable <laughs> ones, um, John Lewis, John Lewis has a great selection and has blown glass aliens, I which I've got this year. They, they've well, done like, what to aliens? <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! Yeah, not not like alien aliens, not like the film aliens. I like would cute I, aliens. Just. Don't be revolting, darling. I wouldn't blow an alien if it was glazed in honey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the acid. No, never mind. Ew. Oh my god! Ew. Good times. <laughs> Good times. Good times. Uh, Jimbo, we have one more film to review. We do. We do have one Halle Berry's directorial debut. That is right. Mm. Bruised. Bruised. Or as Helen might pronounce it, Bruised. Yes. Brukist. Or something, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) it's not pronounced like that. So yes, this is her directorial debut, although it nearly wasn't. This was a Nick Cassavetes Mm. film, which had uh, Blake Lively in the title role at one point, until that dematerialised. But yes, she plays Jackie Justice, a washed-up UFC fighter who was going, I think, 10-0 and in terms of victories, and then had a very unfortunate title match where she sort of freaked out, lost the plot, um, and was essentially hounded from the UFC and now works as a cleaner. Now, a lot of things happen in Jackie Justice's life. She gets fired from her job, goes back to her abusive manager slash boyfriend, Desi, plays by Aidan Canto. Her son, who she'd abandoned at birth, comes back to live with her, her little son uh, called Manny, played by Danny Boy Jr., after his father dies. And she gets a shot of perhaps returning to the ring after attending an underground illegal fight and beating up a werewolf, which is basically what happens, but let's not dwell on that. Um, (laughs) So it's a kind of by-the-numbers independent sports movie. Like she, you, I mean, you know exactly where this is going to go in terms of emotional beats pretty much from the get-go. So it's not a surprising film. Obviously, it builds up to her big return fight. That's where this is going. And like, will she succeed in the ring? Will she succeed as a mother? Will she succeed as a daughter? Because she has a very problematic relationship with her with her own mother. And you kind of, you, like I say, you, you see where all this is going. I think really the only surprising point for me is that this, there's, there's the fight is the fight at the end. There are no other fights. There are no sort of warm up bouts. There's no sort of you know she's she's building up. She's working up the rank. She literally comes back and gets a title shot, which seems a little bit improbable. But so you genuinely, when she gets in the ring, you have no fucking clue whether she's going to absolutely choke or completely beast this other fighter. And I think that gives a sense of uh, a sense of real kind of tension. But like I say, it's very predictable. I do think the fight is very 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 well done. Mm. Like she makes a real effort, obviously as director, of pointing out that it is very 
much her doing a lot of this stuff. And like props to Halle Berry because she's really intense in this role. It's a great dramatic performance. It's an incredible physical performance. And the MMA stuff, like I'm not a huge UFC fan, but I've seen a few fights and it's very, very well staged. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was great. So it's two hours long. He's not sure. Did it need to be two hours long? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, and yet it is. So I think it could have lost maybe half an hour and felt a little bit patient, especially because there aren't other, you know, fight sequences building up to it. You could have lost a little bit of the, yes, we get it. Your life is terrible. Your boyfriend's an asshole. Like, this is fine. But you know what? I liked it. Like, we gave this two stars, which feels maybe a little harsh to mm-hmm. me. I don't think it's a two-star film. I would have maybe given it a three. It's definitely not brilliant. But I think she establishes herself as a decent, if not, you know, outstanding first-time director. And and I think, you know, once again, it does show that as well as star power, Halle Berry is a really good actor. And I think that that really comes through in this as well. Mm. Yeah, very much so. I, th- I think the relationship between her and the kid was mm. was really delicately drawn and really kind of well-paced throughout the film. Like, you, I, I was really surprised by the intensity and the length of the fight scenes. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it seems like a silly thing to say maybe, but like, it's, you know, it, it's not sort of a quick shoot of, or you get the impression she fought, okay, fine. Um, they really like it's a lengthy, lengthy kind of set piece in the film. Probably must it feels like ten or fifteen minutes at least. Oh yeah, I think it might even be longer. Like yeah. it feels. I mean, it is. It's a it's a weighty fight. Yeah, and 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 so that kind of gives you a sense of you know just the 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 intensity of it and the the sheer power of it. And I think that you needed that because mm. you, as as you say, you don't have this big build build up of all these different fights. I will say Stephen McKinley is in this, and he is always oh, he's excellent. So but he's a little underused in this, but he's brilliant whenever he's on screen. Mm. Also, I think massive props to Sheila Atom, who plays Budokan, who's her trainer, and the relationship that she builds with Budokan is actually really nice as well. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Do any of them do wildly over exaggerated Italian accents at any point? No, I'm sorry. They they, no. they did fail in that regard. That is perhaps the one thing missing from this film. Yes, that's. <laughs> Is why you fail. That's two stars. Uh, is, uh, perhaps, two stars uh, for House of Bruised. <laughs> House of Bruised. Uh, uh, two stars then for a Bruised, which is on Netflix. That is on Netflix. And Canto is in cinemas, uh, as is House of Gucky. And Pirates is also in cinemas. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So Netflix is a home to Bruised this week. It's also home to A Castle for Christmas, don't forget, which is the film where um, Brooke Shields plays a romance author who's trying to buy a Scottish castle from Carrie Elwes. It's 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 not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's actually, for the standards of the genre, quite good. Is he playing his character from Saw? Because that's the only way <laughs> I'm going to be interested. If I say yes, will you watch it? Mm, would you like to play a Christmas game? <laughs> jingle, no, jungle, jigsaw. Oh my God. Oh my God. Guys, Jesus Christ. Honestly, Hollywood, do we have to do all this stuff ourselves? Get in touch. End my misery. And by extension, <laughs> yours. By getting me out of this grey, miserable box and writing shit films. 10 wow. million a pop. Amazing. My starting price is 10 million. <laughs> <laughs> Jingle Jungle Jigsaw. It's it's the Christmas movie that wow. everybody wants. I mm-hmm. feel like you've just insulted two sets of filmmakers there. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> He's literally Tobin Bell. It couldn't get more Christmassy than that. Tobin Bell, Tobin Bell, no, Tobin no. all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride. Oh, no, I've sawed my leg off. <laughs> Please stop the podcast. We I will. We are at that time. We will. We're, on, we're almost there. We're almost there, folks. Just one more thing to do, uh, which is that our Eternals spoiler special is out now for any spoiler special subscribers. If you haven't subscribed to our spoiler special feed, it is well worth your time and paltry amount of money. Two ninety nine a month. 
$32.99 a year uh, to subscribe to the Spoiler Specials and get the full archive, 208 and counting. And Eternals is up right now. It is a two and a half hour episode and it features an interview with Chloe Shao, the film's writer and director. And uh, I'm going to bring you a preview of that right now. Here's a little 10 minute excerpt from my interview with Chloe Shao talking about Eternals. Obviously, <laughs> spoilers abound. This is from a spoiler special interview. So if you haven't seen Eternals, then skip. Then, well, you might as well. The go. podcast is over. Yes. Yeah. You know, we're going to do that little bit where we come back and go, well, next week's podcast, we'll be joined by, and then I'll go, Riz Ahmed, Hannah John Kamen, maybe Andrew Garfield, maybe Benedict Cumberbatch, because I think I've done that thing again where I've overbooked loads of guests and they're all coming out the same week. So, uh, and then I go, goodbye for my two colleagues, such as Ethel Cunning, great big fucking nerd, James Dyer, and he'll go, goodbye. And then Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Totally. And then I'll go, and it's goodbye for me. And then I'll come up with something which calls back to what we have been doing previously in the and episode. And it'll be mildly funny. It'll be mildly funny. So mm-hmm. I'll probably say something like, oh, I don't know, hey, Helen, do you want to go for a Yorkie? Or I'll say <laughs> something like, ends goodbye for me. I'm off to put the Christmas tree up myself this weekend. <laughs> and then afterwards, <laughs> I'll put it up it now, in the living James? room. Do you hear you it see? Now? I do. You yeah. put yeah. the Christmas tree up yourself. So I do. All that will happen after the Chloe Shout interview. So if you want to skip it, then just stop listening right now. Cool. Otherwise, <laughs> Carry on. Here's Chloe Shao. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on this Eternals spoiler special by the film's director, Chloe Shao. How the devil are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I probably need more sleep. Salma Hayek's a really good party. I just put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I spoke to Salma yesterday. She's, she feels like someone who is the, the centre of whatever party. There, even if there isn't a party going on, there's a, there'll, there'll be a party there around a party Salma. 24-7, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so before we get into it, because I, I know this is your first your first saunter down Spoiler Street uh, with this movie, all the stuff you haven't been able to talk about for two years, now you can talk about it. Uh, right. The first thing I want to ask you is about Camden, because... I don't know if you know this, Chloe, but you know you shot. A, there's a fairly big chunk of this movie that's shot in Camden. The Empire Office was right around the corner from where you shot. You could have come in. You could have had a, a chat. We could have done a podcast. We could have done all sorts of stuff. Really, I'm sorry. You probably was late to work on that day when we blocked everything off. <laughs> we managed to get in around the sides. Uh, why yeah. did you? Why did? What, what was it about Camden? What lured you there? It's funny because um, I have a lot of uh, British people in my life. And uh, when I was decided to shoot in London for this sequence in the film, I first, you know, the places that were offered to me are quite standard places. And then my partner, uh, who, who's an operator on the, on the, on Eternals, he said, well, go somewhere a bit more cooler than that. Come on, like represent London, like, you know, edgier. This is London. Let's go to Camden. I was like, Kinda okay, great, and <laughs> and then we got there, and then it ended up being you know the the, the bar we shot in is a place where Kit lives across the street, and uh, used to live across the street, and and Gemma, Richard, everyone it used to be the, everybody's old stumping ground. <laughs> <laughs> everyone had a story. I broke in there one night. I I was drunk over there. And, you know, we partied there. Sorry, so, yeah, it was fun. I broke in there one night. I need to know more about that. More, more about that. Is that but... riverboat? Somebody <laughs> broke into that riverboat one night because right. they had too much to drink. Okay. When they were young, when they were younger. <laughs> Interesting. Now that that is something that I feel we need to dig into in another in another time, another podcast, uh, because uh, I'm conscious of time. But that is that's blown my mind. Um, 
with these spoiler specials, I always like to start with the big question, the one that's in everybody's lips after they see Eternals. Uh, and for me, it has to be the various mentions in the movie of Batman and hmm. Superman, the, hmm. which is very cheeky, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. where did that come from? That's a, it's a really fun idea. I take responsibility for that. Um, <laughs> I I just believe we all should live in a one big happy family. Uh, <laughs> and also, uh, you know, let, 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 let's 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 uh, we can talk about the elephant in the room. You know, uh, Icarus reminds people of Superman, and I think, and I don't think I've ever said that to before, but I I think there's many brilliant filmmakers that brought Superman to the screen. You know, it's their own interpretation, modern interpretation of this beloved mythology that exists in many cultures. The strong man, right? The Superman. And, but, you know, Zack Schneider's Man of Steel, when he first came out, I really do believe it was quite revolutionary. You know, the way his interpretation of it is a very grounded uh, approach to Superman. I remember watching the trailer thinking, wow, Zack, Zack Schneider's gone Tyrant's Malik with Superman. It's yeah. exciting, you know? So I, I think uh, whatever you think of the film, it has left quite an imprint on, on many of us, myself included. So I, I just felt it's great to pay tribute. You know, it's great to to acknowledge uh, these iconic interpretations of Superman uh, uh, in these movies. And and Gilgamesh watches movies while he's looking after Athena. Uh, you, you will see there there's going to be a deleted scene where he talks about another film uh <laughs> that's gonna make you smile and and uh uh and he loves batman so he loves batman movies and as i i just love to be able to sh- give a shout out to these characters we love so much yeah it's great because it, it makes sense this is meant to be our world so that stuff would exist in pop culture in in this world it, it all works yeah. um but you're right. You know the, the comparisons between Icarus and Superman in terms of their their powers, in terms of their skill set, yeah. is is there. In terms of their characteristics and how they yeah. operate as people, very very different. And what you do with Icarus in this movie is fascinating, and it leads us, I think, nicely into one of the big themes of the movie, and perhaps even the biggest theme of the movie, is about faith and belief and dogma. And how mm-hmm. doggedly people will cling to that. Um, so you have, you know, various, various mm-hmm. characters in the movie. Ajak begins to question Arishim's teachings. Cersei continues that, brings it to its logical conclusion. Uh, Kingo is someone who is very, very fervent in his beliefs as well, but to a point where he doesn't participate in the final battle. And I definitely want to talk about that as well. And Icarus is a zealot. He is a true believer. He is prepared to kill his friends to preserve the status quo. Can you talk about approaching that theme and and filtering it through those characters in that way? I, I appreciate you picking up on that because this is one of the, the, the main reasons that drew me to this story when I first read the treatment. Because I think the moment when human civilization shifted from deism to humanism when we when 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 many of us started to question the existence of gods you know uh, we started to ask ourselves then then what are we like responsible to give meaning to the cosmos now there's a lot of responsibilities and i think in modern society there's a lot of anxiety and and for better or for worse we're asking this question 
you know, uh, is there a, a, a bigger plan out there? Is there a higher power um, that sort of, like, are we part of this grand design? And if so, do we have the right to break out of it? This is a question that I ask myself a lot uh, mm-hmm. now that I'm older and, and not religious. I think about it all the time. Why are we even here? You know, what's the purpose of existing? So to be able to play, uh, explore these themes in a genre that kind of was born out of that kind of, um, is a genre came out of mythology, really. Because uh, I think we've asked this question since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to be able to have each character represent some population of how they view their relationship with God or with this grand design, and and uh, how they might evolve and change. Like for example, Ajax, Kingo, Icarus; those three have faith in Arsham, right? They do believe that human beings have no right to break out of the natural order mm-hmm. because. So many more are going to be created. We're just part of the, the leaves fall and, you know, new leaves grow. Why are we the ones saying we have to be a forever evergreen, you know, tree? Yeah. So, however, how they exercise that belief is very important. Ajak made mistake, or, or, or she had to believe she, she made impossible tries over and over and over. And on this planet is her children changed her mind. It's, it's who they become changed her. And she decided to choose love this time. She decided to, and Icarus hold on to his belief and had no problem to kill and to hurt. Um, and Kingo, which is a very important character uh, because of what he did, he has firm deep beliefs, but he refused to hurt people for it. And, and that's a very difficult thing to do for a superhero in a superhero film yeah. in act three is to step back yeah. and not fight and not hurt anybody. I, I love that decision, by the way, because I think over the years, ever since Han Solo returns at the end of Star Wars to save the yeah. day, we've been conditioned to expect a character who's reluctant in the final confrontation to come yeah. back in and, and help out. And Kinko doesn't do that. That's, that's a really bold decision. Is extremely bold, if not, you know, it's brave to not act. It's extremely brave to choose forgiveness, like Cersei, you know, it's extremely brave. We, we talked a lot about sort of looking at what does it mean to be heroic? You know, since we, I feel like we're entering the, a revisionist period for this genre, you know, at least I feel the desire from the studios, from the audience. Um, we got to challenge a lot of these fundamental values that this genre is born out of. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, there's something about celebrating feminine strength, both in men and in women mm-hmm. in this film. That was very important for us. I mean, Icarus ultimately made that decision, even just in a split second. He probably regretted it as soon as that happened. And, but he chose, he, he listened to his gentler side, you know, the side that allowed him to love. Uh, and in order for him to do that, Cersei has to remain. I mean, I think Cersei is the bravest of all because she is able to, no matter how much someone wronged her, she's able to forgive them and show them love instead of punch them in the face. She showed them love and she stays open and vulnerable. And that actually brought down the strongest, most powerful being 
Yeah. Uh, and it's one thing the Celestials didn't quite count down, no matter how powerful they are, is our capacity to love. All right, that was Chloe Shao, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. It has been a fun-filled ride all the way. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We will be joined by Riz Ahmed, right. star of the new science fiction movie Encounter. Uh, we'll also be joined by Hannah John Kamen, star of Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. <laughs> we may also be joined by Andrew Garfield to talk about mainstream and a little bit of Tick, Tick, Boom. And we may also also be joined by Benedict Cumberbatch, star of Power of the Dog, because I think I may have done that thing where I booked a whole load of guests and then didn't really look at the dates of the movies. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. mm, there might be three or four guests in next week's show, but it's a Christmas bumper bonanza, a Christmas bumper bonanza. So tune in next week to see exactly who is on next week's podcast. But some cracking names are. Some cracking names as we wind down in 2021. Wind down. <laughs> yeah. We have so figuratively, much still to We wind record. down figuratively. Uh, anyway, all that remains now is for me to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, James. And of course, our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. Hey, Helen, do you want to get a Yorkie? No. All right. Okay. Uh, I'm off to put the Christmas tree up myself this weekend. And then oh, after whoa. that, I will put it up in the living room. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Same tree. Bye. Ew. <laughs> Same tree. <laughs>